Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. <laughs> wow, that was very slow and drawn out. Yeah. 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 It sure is. Like a lot of tutorial levels. Sometimes you just need to get the game started, but the game decides, nope, I'm going to shove this tutorial level down your throat. And that's what I'm about to do with this introduction, because this episode we're calling Canto Stop. To be clear, I'm not trying stop. to like preface what's about to happen. It's just a, it's a thought that I had that I want to share. Nothing special. Bioshock this is the weirdest <laughs> intro we've ever done. But yeah, you know, it, it I really does the weirdest. I, it's up there. But yeah, <laughs> we're calling this episode the awful name, I admit, of Canto Stop Won't Stop because uh, we'll be sharing impressions of Pokemon Let's Go uh, later in the show. Yeah, that was on me. Plus, of course, we're going to talk about the Detective Pikachu trailer. We have to do that. But it does kind of feel like we just talked to everyone. Like, it feels like we just had this because on Wednesday, for those who missed it, over on our YouTube channel, um, Random Nintendo Com, we did our first live stream and we were playing Smash for about an hour, giving a send off to Smash Bros. Wii U. So if you haven't yet, to be fair, half that, of it was spent trying to play Smash because we yes. had horrible latency issues that we didn't account for streaming, me, us playing Smash Bros. Online, and all of us in the other room trying to play Overwatch. Basically, we had like four very high bandwidth things going at once. And somehow the stream survived, but everything else did not. Yeah, <laughs> so. like, I mean, like, I have great internet, but obviously, I mean, that's kind of overkill. Yeah. But if you want to watch the second half of that live stream, the whole thing's archived, but really the second half is where we shine. Uh, again, it's at randomtelecom on uh, YouTube, and you can find it there. But in this episode, along with Pokemon Let's Go and Detect Pikachu, we also have thoughts on Reggie's recent comments that the N64 Classic may not actually be happening. We're going to take a look at some October sales numbers and share impressions of the Switch's newest free-to-play shooter, Warframe. Plus... Plus, 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 stick around to the very end of the show because we have details on how you, yes, you, can win a $50 eShop credit in a special anniversary giveaway since this is our seventh anniversary show. So there's timestamps for all that around town.com. Lucky number seven. Go check it out. Lucky number seven. But let's just jump right in since we already took so long to get to this point. Uh, we're going to start off with Detective Pikachu because that was certainly a thing that happened in it the world. It honestly feels like it happened such a long time ago. It was only about a week ago. It's like a week and a half Because everyone was talking about it. The kids at my school were talking about it. Like, it almost feels like the trailer was released a month ago. No, it's only, like, it only about a little under two weeks ago. They released the trailer. If you haven't seen it, which I'd be shocked anyone that listening hasn't, um, it's on YouTube where it has nearly, last I looked, 48 million views, which is crazy if you consider that uh, Toy Story 4 had its trailer the same day, like its teaser. Yeah, but it was like a teaser. I know, but still, Toy Story. And that combined with the fake reaction video they did with Key and Peele has a total of 20 million. So Pikachu is more than double Toy Story, which is just wild because Disney Pixar versus freakish, hyper-realistic Pokemon. Makes sense, but I mean... One's more viral, yeah, I know. Pokemon has been around a lot more. Yeah. And as Pokemon Go on a show has shown us, you can't underestimate like the power of like latent nostalgia. It's true. Like, it's true. I'm sure just like Pokemon Go, there were tons of people that could care less about Pokemon now that still watch the trailer and were still like, whoa, I would actually watch this. Absolutely. Or they were like, I will absolutely not. Whereas Toy Story 4, <laughs> I feel like there might even be the opposite where some people might be like, I really like how Toy Story 3 ended. I kind of don't really That's kind of me. I feel like I don't need 4. I mean, the fork guy is whatever. It's voiced by Tony Hale. I like Tony Hale. So Buster from Arrested Development. Yeah. But, like the fork guy's like, No, oh, yeah. Okay. Like, I'm sure they'll do. I mean, I... I did kind of feel like we needed a three. A three didn't feel like but four. Feels like that was, yeah, like, I feel like the three just ended. And, and they've had so many shorts after. I mean, yeah. we've had the one where they go to McDonald's, the Toy Stories of Doom, the Toy Story versus the Dinosaur, the Toy Story Party Stories Rex, the Toy Story go to Hawaii. 
And I'm sure I'm missing one, but that's already five or six of them. Yeah. That's practically half a movie, if not a full, another Toy Story movie with Bonnie as the owner. But I digress. I don't even, I forgot what we're talking about. I was yeah, just saying Pokemon. that it outsold, to, it outsold, it outviewed Toy Story. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, so yeah, they should. The, basically, the Detective Pikachu, yeah, it, it, sh- it was more attention grabbing for sure. And I feel like people are pretty divided on it. But I've, I've got to be honest, I'm like really into it. Like my mind says I shouldn't be. The Pokemon look kind of weird being hyper-realized. It's very difficult to separate Ryan Reynolds' voice from Deadpool these days. But somehow, some way, it just, like, clicked with me. I don't know. Like, what about you? What did you think of the trailer? Um, I liked it. Um, okay, so you're in the same boat as me. You're not like, one of the haters. I liked Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. Um, it works. I'm just like, oh, it's like friendly. De- it's like kid-friendly Deadpool. Yeah, it's like, honestly, I would say it's uh, right now a better-fitting voice than... Probably what Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito would have done. done. Oh, totally. but, at the same, but at the same time, like you pick Danny DeVito's voice because of the stark contrast, kind of the way mm-hmm. that voice is basically Danny DeVito in the game. Yeah. In the Japanese one, I don't know how he sounds in the English one. Not as scruffy. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought they did a good job with the trailer. It was interesting seeing how they decided how realistic to make certain Pokemon versus others, because other ones look practically on model, while others look. Like, they were run through the creepy real-life machine that the internet was obsessed with a few years ago. With like, You know that artist? He's realistic Homer. And he has, realistic like, Mario. Has like, realistic skin, and it's, like, kind of disgusting. Like, that's how some of these Pokemon look, but the others, I mean, some of them look great. Honestly, I feel like they kind of had to do it like that for that to work, though. Like, one of the, one of the things I like about the trailer is how the filmmakers made, like, they didn't decide to do pokemon invading our world they didn't decide to do like a fish out of water over human in like a pokemon Thank world God. they didn't do an alvin and the chipmunks like look they're cartoons but they're cg kind of real they were like no this is a pokemon world and we all live in it which i think is a line from one of the pokemon songs yeah we all live in a pokemon world. yeah exactly and the, as a result they wanted to make it look in world so all the pokemon do have to have kind of that weird like some look good because they make sense as a cute fuzzy creature some look bad because they just have to look that way to fit that realism. Like, because what I mean is, like, if you look at the trailer, like, there's all these little things in the trailer where it's like they're really trying to craft a Pokemon world. It does make you have, it does force you to think about some things. Because, like, I don't think anyone really thought about the texture of Jigglypuff's. Yeah, skin. that one, that one, it's everyone's like, freaking out. It's like you. everyone's like, all right, we all kind of expected it to be a balloon. I mean, Smash Brothers, the visuals get better and better, and they still never really sh- imply fur outside of the tuft of hair. That yeah. she has but which then, is weirdly human blonde hair in the but, detective but then Pikachu. I guess like if that is hair I guess it makes sense that that's kind of flowy but then that shouldn't imply that she should have for it elsewhere otherwise that would look even weirder so I mean they but but here's the thing they, they committed to one thing the thing with Jigglypuff how much weirder would it be if she didn't have hair because you know what she would be without hair she'd be one of those weird hairless cats those like kind of wrinkly weird like if you made her smooth she'd look weird that it there's no way you can make jigglypuff look not super sure. horrific without a little bit of fur and i guarantee you like that renders out there somewhere because they obviously tried this like they've yeah. i'm sure they tried making her perfectly smooth and round and and it maybe, probably looked horrible yeah I'm, I'm like really hoping we have like a just a gallery of these rejected concepts from like the blu-ray later or like there. in like an art book yeah, that'd be yeah. that'd be very interesting. But yeah, like it's it's just like yeah, they had to. I feel like they had to do Jigglypuff how they did, yeah, and, and that sort of thing because it matches the idea of you're actually in a Pokemon world. You're not just and they Pokemon superimposed on ours. And they paid attention to the lore way more than even I expected, or even than I yeah, knew. Because yeah. um, like one of like the like the most common complaints that I saw early on was people were saying like, oh, if you're making Jigglypuffs 
like hair like realistic why does mr mime's hair look like it's made out of like a dodgeball but, that's nice hair yeah i have a question about mr mime i don't but, understand but mr. but but then uh but then someone pointed out like oh look at this pokedex entry it's supposed to be a growth shape like hair so it's not even supposed to be hair it's just right. looks like hair i'm like oh okay here's the thing i don't care about mr. i didn't mime. even notice that here's the thing i don't care about mr mime I, I don't get me wrong. I find his creepiness weirdly. He's pretty much on model. Charming. He's okay. very on model. But what I don't understand is like, is he? Did he develop urban camouflage? Like his arms are dodgeballs, like you said. His horns, which by the way can wiggle, that's a thing now. Um, are made of what looks like that playground safety material, like the bouncy mat. So when you fall off as a little kid, you don't hurt yourself. Like how how did these develop on his body? Like did he? Well, I mean, they're... evolve over time to like camouflage with those. Well, I mean, like, they look like sense. dodgeballs. Doesn't mean they are dodgeballs. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Is like, why do they look like dodgeballs? It do, what is the? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I mean, he's that's obviously around humans. Me. It's that's what I mean. He must have evolved yeah. it to yeah. be urban camouflage. But it's just weird. And then he has like peach fuzz for hair, like really thin peach fuzz that they individually rendered for I mean, some yeah. reason. It goes back to like don't question everything, but yeah, because they did kind of put it out there. Some people. Well, yeah, but I, th- I think most of them are actually like what they should be. I mean, like some look great, like detect, like Detective Pikachu. Pikachu himself, I think, actually is really on point. There was a point that Joe Merrick of Serbi, but dot net noted on Twitter, and he was saying that Detective Pikachu's belly has lighter fur, which is the first time they've done that since the original Game Boy model of Detective Pikachu of of Pikachu, and that got me thinking. You know what they nailed with these that no one really is taking giving them credit for. Like, if you look at Psyduck, for example, it's like, well, Psyduck's kind of funky, but of course he's a duck. That's how he's going to look. And then you realize, you know what they did? They went back to the designs of the kind of original Game Boy games where they're like a little abstract, a little weird, kind of creepy at times. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make that real life because the original Game Boy game, more than any other thing in Pokemon, was the best representation of the breadth of variety in a real Pokemon world. Like, you don't have every Pokemon cute and cuddly. Not every animal in the world is cute and cuddly, so not every Pokemon can be cute and cuddly. And I feel like this movie lined up that idea of being, like, kind of the original sprites better yeah, than anything it, Pokemon's done in years. Well, and it does... Well, I mean... It makes sense, also, just because... I remember... I don't know how I ended up on this like, YouTube rabbit hole again, but uh, so at one point I ended up, like, re-watching some video where they go into... Like, I saw they designed the Pokemon and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and how... At one point, they just had the sprites to work with, and they had one artist. Essentially, he was just responsible for translating the sprite work to, like, a physical drawing right. for every single Pokemon. Right, and right. For some of the sprite work, he couldn't even really tell what was going on, so he had to, like, exactly. make it up on his own or even change some things completely. Yeah. And But if you, like, look back at the sprites now and compare what Pokemon t- turned them into as cartoon characters versus what the movie's doing, I feel like the movie's more true to the original spirit i mean yeah that guy had to interpret things i get that so it's all just which interpretation you like more but something about it just i don't know something about this felt like the oh yeah pokemon's actually really weird like these creatures are bizarre so that's that, that's my take at least but i mean and some of them look great like there's um so there's these photos that legendary pictures um has given out to a journalist or something basically they rendered real life models of some of these pokemon for them to kind of get a reference with and we have the links to foes on uh, the blog post if you guys are interested but like, Pikachu looks great. He looks real. Snubble looks particularly good because Snubble looks like a dog. It's like the ones that should look good do look good, and then the ones that shouldn't don't. Like, it makes <laughs> sense. Like, Charmander, for example, he's all over the trailer in all these subtle little ways. Like, I really love – he's in it twice. Yeah, and both weird to me. He looks no, see, like... he looks like a salamander to me. He's just a little taller, but he has, like, kind of that glossiness that well, I would have he, he just looks like he has, like, a cartoon face. He kind of does. Like, his cartoon face, I feel like, kind of clashes with 
the realisticness of it, like a little. No, I get you on that, but I do like how they. Ins- Mainly the eye. I don't know. What I do is. like how they insert him in the trailer. Like he's never a focus of the trailer, but that the point I was making earlier about he how it's like a real Pokemon world. Almost like the wanted poster for the Squirtle. Like the Squirtle, like it straight up looks like Squirtle. a CG render of Squirtle. Yeah. But I'm sure. What well, if like, it's an artist render? Mm-hmm. What if it's a concept? I mean, if it's an artist <laughs> render, that makes more sense. Yeah, and, and, if, and, if, and I feel like that's like a nice gag that they could obviously do at some point. I feel where like someone does like yeah. a rendering and it just looks like the Pokedex drawing. Right, right. But or like the sprite. Yeah. <laughs> but like kind of like how Pokemon Let's Go uses the sprites for all the menus, even though the Pokemon oh, are 3D. I wonder if there's a Pokedex in this world and if it just Who uses knows? the sprite art. But no, but what I was going to say about Charmander is he, I think, embodies the idea I was saying earlier about how this is a real living, breathing Pokemon world in that we see him twice. And the first time they do that, you know, that pan shot of Rhyme City it, coming out of the train station or whatever. And you're like, well, it's a whole city. And there's a little Charmander on the side just walking around looking confused. And then he like sees someone, his trainer, someone that he recognizes and like kind of lights up and looks excited. And then separately... Pikachu's walking down like uh, the food thing, like the food cart, and there's a Charmander cooking food on the grill in the background with his flamethrower. It's just like these are little things they didn't need to do, but they really want to make you feel like it's a Pokemon world. It's not just like here's Pikachu with some humans they actually went in and like put Pokemon where they should be. There's signs that have different Pokemon's names and item names, and I thought that's kind of cool. Like that's going above and beyond what would would like an Alvin and Chipmunks movie do or something. So it gives me hope that there's people behind this that are actually into it and like fans of the Pokemon and doing it right. I mean, they did hire... Hey, the, maybe being a little too harsh on the Alvin and the Chipmunks. I think I am not. No, I might be. But no, I, they hired the guy... Not the sequels. The first one, I mean... I, the Squeakquels, you mean? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I'm not too familiar with Alvin and the Chipmunks lore, but for all we know, maybe that <laughs> maybe that attempt to detail was there? Maybe. Maybe. I'm just know. using that as a reference because it's one of the more recent ones. I mean, you could say the same for, like, the... Well, no, Smurfs actually built Smurfville, so... Yeah, but it was still like fish out of water. Still. Yeah, like, yeah, they, they it came was. to it our was. world. That's like, true. come on, that's Smurf. true. Like, come on. So yeah, like, like it wasn't until like... that all CG Smurf movie where I felt like, wow, this actually looks really neat, even though it ended up being a not very good movie. Right, but visually it was cool. Oh yeah, visually. Yeah. yeah, and actually speaking of visuals, um, one of the other things about this movie that's kind of about Detective Pikachu that's kind of cool to me is the look of it because they're going for this sort of weird realism thing. Kind of, maybe it's just me. I'm getting like a throwback vibe from this of like late 80s, early 90s movies. But instead of puppets, it's CG. You know, like I'm getting a sense of like, I don't know, if, I don't know if this is sacrilegious to say this to you of all people, but it kind of reminds me of something like the Ninja Turtle movie or like the original Mario movie, as much as I hate to say that as an example. But like Mario and this, for example, they both share kind of like a dark film noir vibe. They try to add realism to cartoon characters. I mean, it's not like. We're not talking about the absurdity of, like, humanizing the Goombas in the Mario movie. But we are kind of talking about that. Like, what they're doing with, like, Jigglypuff or Mr. Mime is, like, they're kind of taking these things and making them what they would be in the real world, much like they incorrectly did with the Goombas in Mario. But I'm definitely getting that yeah, sort of I mean, well, yeah, this kind of – we are, we are hitting an official milestone that surprisingly hasn't really been hit with Pokemon yet, which is making these – yeah. Like, I mean, like... They went over 20 years without doing yeah, it. Yeah, like, going forward, like, this is the Pikachu people are going to think of when people think realistic Pikachu or realistic yeah. Psyduck yeah. or realistic whatever. Like, and they're doing it well. And, and I mean, they, they set the bar, and, yeah. Like, the first Ninja Turtle movie, I felt, set the bar really well for the first live-action costumes. And after right. that, they almost, design-wise, just kind of went way downhill. I'm glad you didn't take it as, like, offensive that I compared this to Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I was worried if you're going to be like, no, but you seem to sort of be on the same page. I mean... It's not a bad comparison. I mean, the movie hasn't come out yet. I know. I mean, just in terms of look. Also, just like kind of the darkness. Like, I feel like... I mean, Ninja Turtles aren't perfect. They've had their fair true. share of bad movies. But I feel like 80s and 90s movies, like late 80s or 90s... But when they keep they... trying, damn it. That's all that matters. Right, right. But like late 80s or 90s movies, I feel like there's so many where they tried to do this. Like kind of, it's dark and gritty and real. And Reminds like, me more da, da, da. of like Howard the Duck. There is a Howard the Duck vibe for sure. There's also kind of like... 
not in how it is looks, but I definitely get a like Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibe because it's a detective story. It's riffing on noir. It, humans versus Pokemon. It's human versus Pokemon. Basically, I think at, by the I, end, I guarantee you there's going to be like a Pokemon's rights thing at some point. I'm sure so there's going to be like underground battles. That, yeah, I mean, well, they yeah. you show it. They show it with the Charizard and Pikachu. They're in some sort of, or not, maybe not that one, but at one point it looks like there's a cage match or something. Like, yeah, see, like that's going to be. Yeah, and and not only that, but also dilemma. like also like Roger Rabbit. There are rumors that Detective Pikachu may be rated higher than you would think. There are rumors it may be PG-13. I don't know if I believe that. But I've read that some – I can't think it was comicbook.com or someone saying that that might be the case. And it's kind of like, well, kind of like Roger Rabbit. You age up to the audience that started with you and now is whatever age. Like this is going to appeal to both yeah. demographics. So that would be weird, I'll admit. But I, I, I kind of get it. for the trailer was also pretty great, especially just because of Smash Brothers. But Oh, yeah, yeah, the Happy Together? Yeah. Yeah. Also, they have a shove it joke in the trailer, which Pokemon saying shove it's kind of – they're aging up. They're aging up. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think the whole neon soaked noir thing looks so cool. I think the poster looks way better than that. like I like the trailer, but the poster was like instantly like, oh, that's so good. Like the giant shadow of his tail and all the neon, it's it's so good. But um, I do wonder if part of the reason, if part of the reason like this feels so much like those classic movies. Like I I would even say this kind of reminds me of Space Jam. Like this could be. I'm not saying quality or anything, but in terms of like this could be the current generation's version of like there are parallels with Space Jam too. It, kind of all fits but i think the reason i'm not comparing it to any more modern kids movies is because it's missing one crucial thing that all modern kids movies have and i'm so glad it looks like it isn't in this one and that is the minions and i don't mean like the actual inclusion of minions but the fact that there's zero equivalent to minions so many kids correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like so many kids movies have like that wacky simpleton set of characters that are just there for cheap laughs and to pump out merchandise and since pokemon has all this merchandise for 20 years and all these different characters they were able to kind of like sidestep that like maybe Psyduck will come close but even in the trailer Psyduck's actually doing useful things like he at some point has his psychic attack go off it looks like in a forest or something but like it doesn't seem like they're doing the whole like we need the like stupid cheap laugh character to come in and just be there like like if they did it with Badoof, I might I mean, let yeah, it fly I, I but... imagine they think they have enough with Pikachu as is because yeah, it's Ryan yeah. Reynolds yeah probably but I'm just so glad they didn't like try and do I that mean, just don't trope. hold your breath for Super Mario CG movie. I know. Well, that's what this this is where our joke about Kevin Hart being Toad comes from. Is this idea that every movie seems to have a minion? Wait, it's still a joke. I thought we were like serious. Oh no, I'm dead serious and joking. It's both simultaneously. I'm I'm gonna be disappointed if Kevin Hart is not a Toad. I know, right? But but yeah, like that idea is based on current kids movies. But this movie feels throwbacky because it doesn't have anything like that. I feel like. So we'll see. I mean, the Mario movie's not out till 2022 at the earliest. It sounds like so. There's plenty of time for that, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, time will tell if, if Detective Pikachu's any good, but it certainly showed a ton of promise, in my opinion. Um, I mean, like, this could this could be the first truly good I mean, video game movie. I mean, I'm still going to hold my breath. I mean, it looks good. I mean, a trailer's a trailer. I mean, everyone thought um, Suicide Squad looked amazing based on the trailer, and everyone True. else thought that ended. True. Maybe it was the song choice, but I also like the song choice of this one, so... That, yeah, I mean, it was like the editing with the music that it feels like a lot of people like that. It for, just, for Suicide Squad, for Suicide dude, the Squad. editing in that trailer was so and good. And people just thought like the movie was gonna be amazing, but I mean, let's it's just hope. Subpar. Yeah, let's just hope it doesn't go that route because this will. I mean, it also just sets another precedent for Hollywood. It's like, wow, some studios do care. Yeah, I, I think honestly, part of it to your point of people caring, I think part of it is that this genuinely feels like a passion project. Even in the trailer, there's so many it's things. Like, yes, there's money involved, but at the end of the day, like. 
they got it's like they got yeah, they got people that actually that care because I mean like I mentioned the signs they made for a better product totally but I mentioned like the, the signs named after Pokemon but not only that like someone counted there's over sixty different Pokemon from all generations in this trailer like they're catering to every Pokemon also, fan. Greninjas look pretty creepy Greninja I've, looks like, pretty I've, like, creepy I've like paused it a few times and they look like creepy aliens like, you know what's even creepier when you realize that's his tongue around his neck. Oh yeah, but... <laughs> I know we know that, but if you're just a random viewer and they're like, "That's his tongue," like it's really weird yeah, in real life. Scarf. It's very weird in real life, but he not whips just... you with it in Smash Brothers. Uh, he does. It's a super weird concept. But like other little things in there that kind of caught my eye were like Jigglypuff has the marker from the anime, like her microphone marker. Mm-hmm. Like there's just all these itty bitty little things I thought were really cool. I actually one thing I thought was really clever is how they spend a moment in the trailer mentioning how Tim Goodman, which is Justice Smith's character. How they uh, how he's set to try to become a Pokemon master, and they show his train ticket to Pallet Town and everything, but he failed. He's in, I think he's what a desk job at like an insurance claim company instead, or something like that. Like basically, he failed at the dream of being a Pokemon master. And I feel like the only reason that's in the trailers is like this really savvy move on WB's part to sort of tie in nostalgia with our age group, because like just evoking the memory even in passing of like, hey. Yeah, we're aware. Like, here's the you broader Pokemon. Or not you gave up on Dream, but hey, here's the broader context of Pokemon. Here's what you remember from Pokemon. Look, this movie includes that too in some capacity. Even if it's just passing, like, we know you're out there. Kind of like a little nudge to get our age group to go check it out while still doing the stuff for the kids with the other stuff. Like, I thought it was just a really clever way to kind of extend an all branch to older fans. Will it work? Who knows? But, I mean, I'm super psyched to see it in theaters. I assume you're going to see it in theaters. Eventually. Eventually. Really? You're not going to go, like,. You're Day an animation one. buff and a Pokemon fan. What? Um, we'll see. I mean, you have till May to decide. Yeah, it's a long time. But I, I like, I ten-year-old Jason would be losing his mind over this trailer. Like I sort of was in a mature adult sort of losing my mind way. But if I was like ten or eleven, and I was still a Pokeaholic. I would be completely, like, I would be blown away. Like that's just that shot of Charizard snapping at Pikachu. I would like. Been totally, I, I, yeah, like even now I sound overly hyped about, it, but no, if I was a kid, I would have been all about this. Like I think they nailed it. So we'll we'll see, we'll see. But um, it's only seven, six, seven months away. In the meantime, though, one final note on Detective Pikachu before we move on. Um, for those of you listening out there, you can get your own Pokemon fan art featured by the movie's marketing campaign, which is kind of cool. Um, so WB and Legendary are doing a big fan art contest where you can submit either a static image or an animated original artwork of Pokemon inspired by this movie by the trailer and five winners are going to be given 2000 bucks for their work and then their work could be featured across all of Detective Pikachu's social media on merchandise in print ads etc it's it's kind of cool given how massive Pokemon's fan art community already is so there's already a lot out there and if you're interested we'll have a link to it in this episode's blog post over at Rantown.com uh, but the reason I mention it specifically is kind of a small world thing here the contest is actually being managed by our friends at Talent House who, if you've kept up, if you've kept up with the like expanded Ram Nintendo podcast universe, um, we personally worked with these guys in the past. Uh, I want to say it's like two years ago, but the two of us—I'm sure you remember what? this, Angel. The two of us actually did a piece for Townhouse. Uh, they had a creators blog and like an e-zine. Basically, what Townhouse does is oh, they, yeah. yeah, they work out with all the, they work with all these different artists, and then they kind of pool their resources together to do a cool fan art thing. It's a house of talent, if you will, and. Um, yeah, we wrote for their creator magazine, like e-zine uh, e- and blog. We did a thing about like how video games are an art form and how you can interpret it in different ways, and they featured us. And now it's kind of neat to see it coming full circle and now seeing Townhouse working directly with Nintendo and Pokemon Company on Detective Pikachu. 
So if nothing else, you guys should check out the contest because we're buddies with those guys in a way. So literally, if nothing else, if nothing else, but it is a cool contest. Like if you like doing fan art, it's free money. So, but yeah, that's that's just kind of a funny, funny little weird inroads between us and them. But that's enough about that. Let's switch over to a different member of the expanded Random Nintendo universe, Reggie. Um, he hasn't been on the show or anything. Let me let me be clear. But we we both met him a couple times. So so that counts, I assume, as him being part of our expanded podcast universe. Yeah, I can confirm. I assume he's human. I, I uh, he is human. He appears to be in person. He, he acts as human as you tall. would expect. Although when I took a selfie with him, he kind of lingered. Like I took it and I, was, and I just kept kind of just staring at the camera. So maybe maybe he's still picking up on those human social cues because he's from outer space. I don't know. But no, it's uh, he's he's been making some news lately, uh, doing some interviews. Luckily, he's not making news because of what uh, he hasn't adopted any of the Nintendo Russia guys' behavior. Luckily, actually, detour. Do you know about that? No. Okay, so I'm going to take a detour here. Never mind. Never mind Reggie for a minute. So there's this guy in Russia. It's Nintendo Russia's head, their general manager, a guy named Yasha Habdaji, something like that. And um, he was caught, this is real, he was caught in an official Nintendo Russia live stream hosted by Nintendo Russia being a complete and total jerk to his employees. He was cursing them out. He was berating them. And it was all because when you push that you're live on certain services, they send a push notification to some people, but not everyone. So they went live. The push notification went out, but his phone didn't get it. So he didn't believe they were live. So he's standing behind the host on camera berating the employees while they're live about how they're not live and they keep telling him we're live he's like but i didn't get a push you're not live and he just starts cursing him out and calling him names and like it's really awkward like it's cringy just to watch so it's safe to say he's probably not working there anymore well that was the start of it and then it snowballed so all sorts of accusations came out of it from there with employees and former employees who are claiming he gets physically violent in the office to the point of like throwing keyboards and punching computers. Mm. He so dumped a trash can. Kind of came out. Yeah, exactly. He dumped. Apparently, this was kind of there since like 2013, 14, but now it's coming to the surface. Like he at one point got mad at an employee and dumped a trash can into their desk drawer. I don't really know what that accomplishes, but okay. He, um, what else did he do? He blackmailed people. So if they tried to leave, he'd be like, "Well, I'm not gonna get, you're not going to be able to get a job anywhere else in this industry because the guy that runs Nintendo will tell you like." You know, we'll tell them they're not a good employee to the new employer. Wow. So he'd make them stay. And then, of course, because this is just a natural extension, sadly, of what he's doing, there are rumors of apparent sexual harassment, too, where he would have inappropriate, you know, do inappropriate things like make women call him. And this, I feel gross even saying this out loud. They'd make, he'd make women in the office call him Daddy Yasha, which is just like, ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's a total mess. Nintendo of Europe says they're now looking into it, but like I've unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I've kind of been waiting for something like this to pop up in the gaming world. You know, there's been little things like Riot Games apparently, you know, has sexism going on within their office and that sort of thing. But for the most part, like the whole reckoning that hit Hollywood the last couple of years didn't really touch gaming. So yeah, that's odd. Because gaming me. really is that pure. No, no, it's really not. Because that's what's odd to me is like gaming is has a long history of sexism and problem. I mean, Gamergate all that stuff there's a huge history of this sort of there's no way there isn't of this, what you're right so it's just weird that it took this long to bubble up and what i didn't expect is that nintendo would be the company it would bubble up at in such a direct way like it's, it's i mean to be fair it's one of their small regional offices yeah, it's not real fair, nintendo. i didn't know nintendo russia was a thing it's not it's a subdivision of nintendo of europe he's a general manager not like a reggie figure not you know nothing no one of that caliber but 
just the fact this is happening at all like that's that's a little disappointing that i mean if someone at nintendo knew all this time and sort of just kept it hush hush that's you know above nintendo russia that'd be disappointing but i'm glad they're addressing it now um he'll likely be gone in due time but it's just like i never thought we'd be on the podcast being like yeah this this guy that runs nintendo russia just pours trash in people's drawers and says call me daddy yasha like it's really weird so well i just, just saying reggie's not that so that's good but this has been breaking so i figured we should at least mention it in passing it's bizarre anyway here in the u.s we have reggie and all Reggie's doing, all he's guilty of, is bobbing and weaving around interview questions, as he always does. He just did this uh, whole media tour. You know you know what he does every so often. Good old Reginald will just hop on the phone or take people to a conference room and sell products or try and talk about how great Smash is and Pokemon is. And for the most he really part... He is a door-to-door salesman. He basically is, but he's one that has a lot of power. <laughs> but yeah. for the most part, you know, he's saying things we've heard before. I mean, here, here's a riveting one. I don't think he's ever said something we didn't hear. Here's a ri- sometimes. Well, he alludes, but he never outright says yeah, it. But here's a riveting. Here's a riveting news story that came out of his interviews. Metroid Prime Four, Metroid Prime Four is in fact actually in development. Who knew? They said what? it was in development two years ago, and he's like, "Yeah." So that's what you get when you get Reggie. But then came in Kotaku. Oh, what are they trying to say that? Remember when I wore that pin a long time ago? That was for that like Metroid Prime Four title screen trailer. You were going to see a few years later. Which means if he's now mentioning it's in development, in five years we'll see the game? I guess so. Ooh, okay. But uh, no, then two um, – what was I going to say? Yeah, then – so this was all going on, all these interviews. But then in came Kotaku, who actually tried to pry some new information out of him for once. And you know something more than just, we have surprises in store, which is something he actually said to one of the outlets, which of course you do, Reggie. You always have surprises. Anything not announced is a surprise, and clearly you don't announce everything until it's right. So no duh. But the biggie that came out of the Kotaku interview that I want to talk about um, – is the conversation that Reggie had in which he downplayed, seriously downplayed, speculation about a Nintendo 64 Classic Edition. Like, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you haven't felt this way, but I feel like the general consensus has been that there is one coming. It's just a matter of speculating when. Yeah, the public has decided. The public has decided it will exist, and it's just a matter of when. Like, for a while now, I at least held the belief that would be 2019, because they can milk NES and SNES Classic uh, all holiday long. And it seems to be working. I mean, month after month, MPG keep putting out these, uh, you know, in their uh, financial chart stuff, they keep putting out um, statements about how plug-and-play devices are a big industry sales driver. And the SNES and Super Nintendo are obviously at the top of that. And when I went to Best Buy, I was on uh, Best Buy late late uh, Thursday night for Black Friday deals. They had a whole wall of Super Nintendos and a handful of NESs. So they also had a ton of Switches that were going pretty fast, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, even though we didn't see the N64 Classic this year, it felt, at least to me, like a given for some point in the future. But Reggie's saying it's not. As he put it, and this is a weird way of wording it, what I can tell you is it's certainly not... Or Sorry, let me try that again. What I can tell you is certainly that's not in our planning horizon. I don't, I don't even know what planning horizon is. But apparently he claims they're not doing it, and honestly, I don't know if I believe that at all. Because um, this wouldn't be the first time that Nintendo has denied something to only then do it anyway. The horizon being today or tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, playing Horizon is like, oh, so you're not doing it this week? Sweet. But no, like this is typical Nintendo like bob and weave because I my favorite example of this is Nikkei in Japan. The newspaper reported that a larger DSi would be released back in like 2009, 10. Nintendo was like, no, witness, no, this is speculation, no. And then lo and behold, guess what they announced like four weeks later? The DSi XL. They then did this exact same 
Song and Dance with the 3DS XL. They denied it, and then, oh, look, there it is. There's a bigger 3DS. Who knew? So Reggie cryptically wording around, you know, about planning horizons, uh, that to me leaves the door open just enough for another little switcheroo on the N64 status. That to me implies it's still coming. It's I wonder if that's the hardest part of his job, to, like on the spot, like just knowing that no matter where he goes, he's going to be asked about all these things that haven't been announced yet. And he I bet he's just thrilled no one asked him about Mother Three for once. Because I mean, like obviously he's not allowed to say like yes, it's coming and it's going to come right. out this year. But is he on the same logic? Can he? Is he also not allowed to completely like deny it? Like can he say like we're not doing one? Like we're not doing one. Well, he also said never say never. I never say never, but it's not on the playing horizon. So it's like... No, I'm just saying like... Do you, I don't know if he can... I think if he you happen to know, like, like, can he outright like just say it doesn't exist and we're not making one? If he just wants people to shut up about it? Yeah, he could. Which is why... I mean, he knows. Which is, But he always leaves a little gap just in case, which is why I think there's more, you know, this is happening. Yeah, I mean, so. but, vagueness breeds speculation. Well, and speculation and part, breeds hype. And part of the reason, I suspect, because we're about... Spec- brings unreasonable expectations. expectations. Re- unreasonable expectations brings products you want that never get made. Or and sometimes just, yeah, disappointment, yeah. Yeah, but no, in this case, I think he was actually trying to spin it to be about other things, which is what's weird, because he said more. He specifically told Kotaku that the current crop of classics, he was saying that they're designed to bridge the gap between Wii U and Switch, the whole like NES and Super NES, and have always been billed as, as he put, limited time opportunities, which already is, that's starting to sound like PR spin to me. Because if, yes, like when the NES Classic came out, they did say it was a limited opportunity. It did come out to bridge the gap between the Wii U and the Switch. It was that one year where Wii U was dead and Switch wasn't out yet, like 2015 or whatever, or 16, I think. But the but this uh, SNES classic that came out six months into the Switch's life, the console is already selling out everywhere. It was already a, a runaway hit, and then they brought back both this holiday season. Switch already outpaced sales of Wii U and GameCube at this point. So it's not like these extend. You know, it's not like these existed solely to bridge the gap because there there's no gap being bridged. They're post gap and they're still selling and making a lot of money. In fact, I'd argue that Reggie skewed the whole limited time meaning in his point to go from a limited production run, which I think is how we all interpreted it originally, to a limited window of like making such a product, which is not how it was originally pushed. It was, it was a limited run, not a limited, oh, we're only going to do this because we don't have a system. I mean, this also kind of flies in the face, his whole point, this flies in the face of the IP building thing Nintendo's doing. Because they, they themselves would talk up how the NES brought in lapsed fans to get back into the full Nintendo properties to the point that maybe they'll buy a Switch when the Switch comes out. Wouldn't that be grand? So do all these people now own Switches? Is that what, Nintendo, is that what Reggie's trying to say? Do they not feel like an N64 for the 90s generation needs a push whatsoever? Like do all those 90s kids already own Switches? It seems like, it seems like Reggie just kind of shifted the goalposts a bit as a way to deny that it's coming. I don't, I don't know. And then, and then what I think is actually happening, to be honest, is I think until an N64 becomes a reality, if it becomes a reality, Nintendo wants people to just buy into the Switch. Obviously, they, they just want the money there. Like, specifically, they want people to think of Switch Online as, like, this go-to classic Nintendo gaming service and then subscribe to that. Like, Reggie outright said to Kotaku... Uh, where is it? Here we go. He outright said to Gotaku that we've also now been very clear that as the consumer looks forward to engaging with our classic content, that's going to happen more and more with the subscription service. Like, he's literally like, don't think of an N64 classic coming. Buy a $300 console and get a Nintendo Switch Online subscription because down the road, your games will be there. Which suddenly makes this whole denial where he did not actually denying it sound a little more like just a marketing 
But how will we connect the N64 controllers to the exactly. Switch? Exactly, and not only that, but let's follow his logic. I guess through the expansion slot? I guess that's the only thing that can make sense. The expansion but... slot? Such as expansion slot? The memory card slot on the bottom. Of the controller? Oh, 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 oh. I think that's I mean, the Switch. Do... Yeah. I mean, they'll no, be very no... awkwardly placed on the Switch, but I mean, I guess... That's yeah, there's no... There. See, it doesn't make sense. And then let's follow this logic. I get dongles. Dongles for days. I mean, you're very familiar with dongles. You just got a new Mac and a new iPad that both use different outputs than you're used to. They're all USB-C. You have all USB 2. I can either confirm or deny this. I mean, I'm looking at that. We're recording on one of them, but okay. Yeah, we can't prove it. True. True. Yeah. Just got to take my word, folks. But no, let's, let's follow it. Like, so to Reggie's thing, like, Weisner says it, it sounds like Nintendo's positioning retro gaming as the new major selling point of Switch Online, which makes sense because there's nothing else to push. And obviously other systems like N64 further enhance that. That makes sense. But let's follow that logic real quick. You could argue that this year's NES and Super Nintendo Classic are stop gaps until Switch's lineup is flushed out, right? Like, okay, they're still signed because they only have like 20 games on Switch Online. Sure. But if Nintendo has control over when they launch games on the service and what they are, why not just put all the games from the classics and beyond on the service right now? Like, why wait and keep selling hardware as a stopgap? Like, that's kind of the contradiction in logic I'm getting from Reggie and what he's saying about an N64 Classic. Like, they don't want to do an N64 Classic because they want people to subscribe to Switch Online for that purpose. But they're also choosing to drip-feed games onto the service, so instead of leaving money on the table, they're going to produce the classic systems for the NES and Super Nintendo longer. But at that, at some point, they're eventually going to say, never mind, we don't care about the extra money on the table, and they're going to suddenly only put N64 games on the Switch, ignore the hardware that they're currently saying is what drives a lot of money and they don't want to give up. Like, for a company that now has a mission statement of getting IPs into as many people's hands as possible, this is a very weird approach that feels like it's actually limiting things more than helping things. So I don't know what to think. Like, it makes no sense. It completely contradicts. Use our service, but we do sell those systems, but we're not going to sell those forever because we have the service, but we're not going to support the service because we have those systems. So it's like, what are you... <laughs> which is it, guys? So we'll, we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, like... And then 64 Classic suddenly materializes on their planning horizon after the PS1 mm. Classic has a holiday season. Because uh, it's not like Nintendo needs to copy Sony or anything. I mean, obviously, the, Playsta- the mini PlayStation is a copy of Nintendo. But I feel like the mini PlayStation does measure an appetite for retro 3D. Because honestly, one thing I think may be holding Nintendo back in uh, with an N64 is that the 64-bit era really doesn't age as well as 2D games. Like, I feel like we talked about this before. We did. Yeah, like, there's just... Like, N64 and PS1 games just look really rough in 3D. Like, NES Super Nintendo games have a style to them. These are just, like, rudimentary 3D. I mean, obviously, there are exceptions. Ocarina of Time aged pretty well. Mario 64 holds up. GoldenEye, it's iconic, but it looks pretty bleh. Anything trying to replicate realistic graphics age horribly. Yeah, but anything that's a little more artsy is fine. So, So, if Sony can find success with the PS1 and nostalgia using those early 3D graphics, especially in light of the fact that the new mini PS1 apparently is not all that great in terms of the ROMs or the emulators. Apparently the US version of the PS1 Classic has European games ROMs in some cases, and they use weird director's cuts that are less popular. and like It's kind of a mess, apparently. Um, but if, if Sony can find success with that, maybe it'll get Nintendo to change its tune and do an N64 Classic proper, because they'll go, oh look, we weren't sure if people liked the old 3D, it seems like it's doing well, maybe we'll give it another go. Then again, this is Nintendo we're talking about. 
they never really look at competitors, so I could be way off base with the theory that they're seeing how PS1 does. But I, we're definitely, obviously, not getting an N64 this holiday. But yeah, I mean, so, uh, Nintendo, like, never, ever looks at competitors. I mean, <laughs> I think the good example of that is E3, which is back in the news because of Sony. Like, Nintendo was the first to stop doing a press conference at E3. And then Microsoft this past year backed out of having a booth on the show floor. Instead, they were over at Microsoft Theater across the street. And now, just this past week, Sony is saying, hey, we're going to not be at E3 whatsoever. Like 2019, we're just not at E3, which in and of itself is kind of weird and crazy. Like they've been doing the show for 24 straight years, basically since it began. And so it's just not going to be there. It's it's kind of what happened with PSX, their annual fan convention, where they're just like, hey, we have nothing to show. So uh, bye. And it didn't do it. Like it's really weird. I mean, the rumor is they're gearing up for a PS5 in 2020, like launching. But it, it's it's weird to me that they're just kind of buy, bowing out of 2019 minus maybe... What's even coming to PS4? Last of Us 2 and Dream? Are those the only games? Um, they're that one Samurai one. Is that from Sony? Uh, they made a big deal about it at <laughs> their press conference this I, year. I guess maybe it is. But yeah, like, but they won't have a press conference next year to make more big deals for the holiday. Like, what is... It's weird. Like, you're a PS4 owner. Does it bother you that Sony's basically like, we're going to take our ball and go home for a year when you have a PS4 sitting there that may want new games? Or are you content because you're like a late PS4 owner? I'm content because God of War still has... I mean, I already beat it, and it's amazing, but I still have way more I could do in it. Monster Hunter, I still haven't even started it. Uh, so yeah. Plus, there's still Smash Brothers, plus there's still you know other games on the PS4 that I haven't gone back to buy. Like, I still want to get the Bioshock Trilogy and replay up too. And then play three for the first time. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty. So of you're things. set. So maybe it's just maybe it's just more a marketing move. I feel they weird. don't need. I, I, they could take their time if they want. I still haven't played Last of Us one, so if they don't want to release anything for a while. I could go back and right, play that because yeah. that got remastered. So you know. Yeah, maybe fine. it maybe it is just a marketing thing because I don't know. At least when Nintendo like did this with the Wii, they put on a bit of a front. I mean, Wii U they basically dropped like a rock. Like it seems like Sony's kind of doing a PS4. Like Wii U was pretty dire in its last year though. It wasn't the number one system on the market, so it's kind of. It's in, I, I'm just not used to seeing a company be like, oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, we'll be back in 2020. See ya. Like, it's just, I don't know. It strikes me as kind of weird. It's kind of surprising considering how well the PS4 has been doing. Right. Like, it's weird that they just like, leave it hanging. It was selling amazingly well with God of War. It's and doing really well with well. Spider-Man. Yeah. It's, it's they have doing, two games that are, like, really, really good this year. It's doing numbers that you would not expect in a console's fifth year. Yeah. Like, it's doing crazy I good. And Sony's just like, well, let's wipe our hands of that one, guys. We'll see you in 2020. It's just so... It, it, it always feels like this console keeps getting like rebirths like when it, it got, yeah when it got yeah. like the ps4 pro that almost felt like a new launch and now and and i guess they had like their slim at some point but now to me it feels like the ps4 is like two years old i forget that it's five years old yeah it's super and and that's what makes it so weird that they're the switch is it. two years old the switch is two as of march wow this coming march so old yeah, i know i know it's all it's already a toddler yeah. when's the next console on nintendo uh, probably three to four years, judging on their cycle. Oh. Maybe they'll ride out a little longer. They shouldn't do what they did with the Wii, because that was... They rode the Wii too long. Like, the wave came crashing down and fizzled out. But anyway, the the reason I bring up E3 is um, in the context of like Sony leaving E3 and Nintendo following others' leads, it's funny that the same year that Sony leaves E3, Nintendo out of nowhere being all like, yeah, E3, which is not how they've been the last few years. Like, they, they doubled down on their own commitment to E3 the same day that Sony said it wasn't going to be it. They're actually going to have a live show this time? They're not going to have a live show, I don't think, but Reggie 
good old Reggie again, good old Reginald, he put out a statement saying how it's an outstanding opportunity for Nintendo to connect with fans and business partners. So I guess Nintendo zigs when everyone zags no matter what, but I don't know, perhaps. Oh, E3 also, I mean, Sony also took up like half of that one room. They so. did. They took up half of West Hall, which Nintendo took up the other like third of, and then a couple other companies. So I don't know what that space <laughs> is going to be. So the our ticket price is going to be like reduced by a quarter? I mean, probably not, because ESA is gonna be like we can still sell it at two fifty. Actually, that's a good question because they're missing a huge draw. They're missing about a third of the fans. Yeah, I mean that's literally yeah a third of the console. I didn't even think I mean, about the business side for E three of this. I was just like, that's funny that I mean Nintendo the, the year it Nintendo does make me kind of want to go less because because you yeah, it's only yeah. Nintendo at that point. I'm still going because Nintendo, but I mean maybe the Sony I, part never married. I mean me. maybe if I could get the ticket for one fifty, but. Hear that ESA? You should make it 150 this year. Well, I mean, they do it for the first thousand, don't they, or something like that? Yeah. So maybe they'll do it for the first all. <laughs> That'd be nice. Maybe they'll just do 150 because yeah, that's a big blow. But yeah, no. The reason the reason I brought it up was the idea of um, Sony following Nintendo following Sony's lead about something with PS1 for the N64 Classic. But now it's kind of funny that Nintendo's going the opposite way of Sony with E3. So who knows? I mean, at this point, if you want N64 Classic, I think you just gotta keep your fingers crossed. That's probably your best bet. Of course, the, if you um, didn't already buy yourself a illegitimate one, did they sell illegitimate? Oh, true. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's more than one hundred and one machines they sell in the mall. A portable N64. Did I ever tell you that story? That um, well, it's not portable; it's just mini. But did I ever tell you that story? It's more portable. That's yeah. true. Did I ever tell you that story? So back in high school, do you remember when the mall kiosks always used to have those hundred and one or fun five hundred and one or one thousand and one game systems with all the Nintendo ROMs and emulators on them? Yeah, there were some that were just N64 controllers. Yeah, so I, being the good 14-year-old Nintendo fan that I was, saw them at the mall. You bought one and you threw it away. No, no. You reported them. Yes. Oh, my God. I really did. I thought I was doing the right wow. thing. I went to Nintendo's like piracy website, and like they're like, oh, if you find one, report it to us. And I reported it to them, and I'm like, oh, it's at the Lamo Mall in Torrance, California, which, funny enough, Nintendo now uses the Lamo Mall for all their mall tours for L.A., like the Smash holiday tour is there right Some now families probably went hungry but, that winter well here's the thing i thought was weird so i submitted it and the entire holiday season those n64 stayed there but then the next year they were gone i'm like i did it i saved Nintendo. i saved the monolithic corporation yeah i am the man and then a year later they were back and i was like and then at a wiser 16 i'm like this is dumb and just didn't ever follow up a second time but for one year i thought i did some good and helped save Miyamoto's wallet I guess well, but yeah looking back I'm like why did I do that but at the time I thought it was the right thing to do like and what I'm saying is to hang out with listen what I'm saying yeah I was a blast what I'm saying is Nintendo if you're listening to this you owe me like a trip to Redmond a job Reggie's office all of the above just think about it think about it but speaking of Reggie, there is one other subject he talked about uh, during his interviews, which was, of course, sales. And uh, one thing he emphasized that's kind of interesting to me is 60% of Nintendo's yearly revenue happens between October, November, and December, that trifecta of holiday sales months. So it's kind of interesting if you just look at – if you look at the like just-released MPD chart for October to see just how strong that first crucial month is for Nintendo this year. And what I'm saying is it's time for a seventh anniversary edition of Jason Sales Corner. Ooh. Yeah. So on the software side, it's very promising for Nintendo. I mean, first off, it's actually worth knowing that the industry as a whole 
is doing super well thanks to two high-profile launches, Black Ops 4, well, I'm, I'm like tripping over my words here, Black Ops 4 and Red Dead Redemption 2. They charted at number one and number two respectively. And altogether, the industry is up 73% in sales to $1.5 billion. There's a bunch of other games that help too, NBA 2K, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, etc., etc. But those are the ones that like really were big in uh, October. But then within the world of Nintendo, they also had some pretty good software sales. Uh, Mario Odyssey, Mario Kart 8, Breath of the Wild, they're all still in the teens of, of the top 20 overall. They're just hanging on. But the big story is Mario Party. Super Mario Party went up on the chart. It was number 9 in September, based on just a couple days of sales, and now it's number 5 in October. So as of right now, which I didn't think I'd be saying this, but Super Mario Party is now the third fastest selling Mario Party in series history in the US. It's only surpassed by the original Mario Party and Mario Party 8 on Wii, and I would argue that only one of those two deserves the title of being among the fastest selling. The, the original. The original. Huh. Yeah. It appears we've reached an impasse. I think we have. Let's we should let's have a debate. Why do you what why is so great about Mario Party 8? It's a more well rounded game. Than one through seven? Well, we're just talking about one and eight. Oh. Well, yeah, but one set the whole thing in motion. Yeah, but I mean I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna ignore the fact like yes, it's the first one and yes it didn't have the technology that it came with, but Eight, I feel, really deserves it where it is right now. Eight to me felt like eight to me was good because it used the Wemo in interesting ways, but it felt like it was like the fifth game in a row to do that, so it just felt redundant to me compared to some of the others. Like some of the other Mario Party stand on their own legs, but this one was like, "Hey, it's Mario Party, but now we have motion." So it actually, I feel like it actually reused a lot of the same motion things you would do in like WarioWare. It probably did. Yeah, so that's why I didn't like it as much. But I didn't hold that against it. I like to look oh. at each game as its own thing and oh, not do, really compare do, them. Do you? Yeah. You like to look at them as their own, their own thing, except you say that this one's more well-rounded than the original, which is already a comparison because, in and of itself. Because Objection. You're, you're asking me to I compare know, them. I know, I know. You're looking at it. Your no, inherent it just, it look at didn't... 8 is already built on comparisons to other games. That's true. I think I think it's hard to look at it in a vacuum because it felt so redundant to other things that I already played. But I, I get that. If you came into 8 by itself, it's probably fine. And clearly, as one of the three fastest-selling Mario parties ever, a lot of people came into 8 by itself and thought it was great, I'm sure. Yeah, it had a lot of good um, sub-games, like, besides the board games. They had a lot of creative, like, battle mini-game modes. Like it had Actually, a, yeah, those, those were pretty like good. Like, I had a Tile Flipper one that I really liked. That was pretty much what Super Mario Party is doing with their tile selector one instead of flipping tiles you're selecting you're, tiles you're selecting tiles true yeah. innovation that only nintendo can deliver and you know i mean <laughs> mini games i feel were always fun like they never really the, the quality of the mini games i felt was always consistent with all mario parties it yeah. was just the consistent of the board games like some eventually got really creative like we talked about in the past you had like more monopoly style board games or everyone started with stars or you're stealing stars from each other right but well, this this leads to a different uh, thought, actually. So, we're saying this is one of the fastest selling Mario parties ever, right? And Nintendo mentioned in their financials last month, which we talked about, I think, last episode, that they want Mario Party to be like the next big Switch Evergreen title, right? So, all that seems to point to the idea of DLC. I mean, even when we gave our impressions of Super Mario Party, we were both like, it needs more content. Yeah. So, in at regards least to that, more board maps and at least a couple more variations of playing the board so, so that's what I was going to ask you because the 2v2 is a really good start do you think they should do new entirely new or should they do 
like pa- like should they make it the Super Mario Party, like a Mario Party Ultimate? I I'd be cool with them doing like packs of past Mario Parties. Like here's the Mario Party Two pack with the best boards and mini games, or Mario Party Four pack or whatever. Like, would that be interesting, or does that feel does that feel too redundant? That's fine because it gives me. I mean, it's like it's nice to have one place to have your one-stop shop for all Mario Party. It's not that fun to go dig up your GameCube or just plug it in just right. to have, like, get to play that Mario Party Four mini game that everyone loves, um, Booksworm. But now, naturally, but if it's already on, on Super Mario Party, like you know how they did with the be- the top one hundred. That's what's about reference. It's like, why don't they just do that for the Switch? That's, that's what we wanted reference. for the Switch. No yeah. one, no one wanted Mario Party the top one hundred Nintendo. No one wanted it on the 3ds on the 3ds you know what's funny is reggie commented on that to Kotaku about the idea Dumb. of like games for the wrong system he's like hey like not every systems for or not every game not every systems for every nintendo fan like think about like these kids need to be introduced on something with something and then they can come to switch and then play it on there and i'm like well reggie that doesn't really answer the fact that like top 100 would have worked on switch better like sure, Luigi's Mansion could be remade on 3DS. Whatever, Top 100 would have been perfect because it it's would. like the kind of quick party game you want. But and what's funny is Reggie in that same interview was saying how like, which is also what Nintendo's saying on in their whoever financials. The, whoever made that decision well, for 3DS or Switch really needs to get like slapped in the face because they were probably really close to combining. Super Mario Party was probably going to be that, and that's probably why it's called Super Mario Party because it doesn't really feel that. No, nah, it's called Super Mario Party because it's a reboot, and they need to drop the number, and they didn't want to call it New Mario Party because that's weird. Like that, I mean, Super Mario Party still works for. It does. I think on aggregate, the reason not call it Mario Party one through twelve. The reason I think it was on 3DS is because they already had the engine up and running to do 3DS Mario Parties because of Island Tour and Stargazer. I don't know what the other one's called. Star Island, Star Starboy featuring the Weekend, whatever it's called. They um they already had the engine there from those two games. They were able to just literally map over or port over the mini games into this existing engine while on Switch well, had to build a whole them, new one. A lot of them were from N64 games and that's what I'm saying. to like redo them basically. No, but what I'm saying is they could just take the, the scenarios and plop them into an existing yeah, newer yeah. engine versus Super Mario Party was still a year away. They didn't have that engine race. So it's a really quick way to pump out a 3DS game. But I agree, it makes more sense on Switch and I think Nintendo's probably realizing that too because what I was trying to say is Reggie in his interview with Kotaku was talking about how post-release content is a quote-unquote critical tactic they're going to use to keep evergreens going he cited breath of the wild as being what an incredibly exceptionally well done sales wise um dlc package so it does feel like mario party is next in line i mean personally i would love to see mario party 2 come over mario party 2 is hands down the best mario party they wear hats and outfits that's his only reasoning no i really like it i like the main game i think the boards are at the he time he really likes it therefore it's the best one I, the main game. <laughs> what do you want me to say? It's all opinion. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I do really like it. I think it's the best one. I thought the main games were really good. I thought the boards and the costumes and stuff were a unique idea that they never revisited. I thought the board designs were really good and kind of out there, literally ones in our space. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a really good Mario Party. Like when I bought, I didn't buy two, but I did buy three, and I was not as happy with three as I was with renting two all the time. Interesting. Yeah. But then four is okay. But two's my all-time favorite. Like, I'd love a, t- a, t- a two-pack, a, a Mario Party two-pack. I like three significantly more than two. Really? Why is that? 
I mean, it just felt better. I mean, oh, well, also, I forgot what you said about me and my opinion, but pretend I said it back to you. No, the difference <laughs> is that I'm saying that I think it's significantly better. You're just saying that it's just the best hands down. Not that. Oh, I meant in my better. opinion. Obviously, yeah. this is all my opinion. Well, yeah, that, you threw that in at the end. But no, yeah. but I mean, like, I unless I say objectively, it's my opinion. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this whole the whole podcast for seven years has been opinions. So <laughs> not it's a, like it's like I busted no, no, out no. like a rule book. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, some things are are facts too, like the fact that Star Fox sixty four is a trash. Ah, uh, see, see, I knew you were going there, and it's really not. It's really not. It's yeah. really not. Everyone that says otherwise just has very, very tight nostalgia goggles on. And, and you're saying that's not an opinion, that's fact. That is a fact. That's interesting. That is a fact. So the facts work in your favor. They don't work in my, in my favor. They're just no, facts. No, no. Facts okay. are just facts. Okay. Okay. Guys, this is the slow the slow breakdown and end of the Random Tale podcast. Mm-hmm. It's all falling apart here. We made it seven years. It's a great seven years. But right here, right now, over Mario Party and Star Fox, Angel and I are no longer friends. I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying Mario Party 2 was bad. Like, I love Mario no, Party I, 1. Yeah. I thought Mario Party 2 was You're better. You Star Fox is bad. Like, they're just kind of... I just kept, I thought they kept getting better in succession, except Mario Party 4 didn't feel better than 4 3. was, yeah, 4 kind of... But then 5 felt better than 4, then 6 felt better than 5, and 7 felt better than 6, and so but on. But then 8 and 9, or 9 and 10 did the car, and they're like, what? Yeah, 9 and 10 kind of felt like one long game. 9 and 10 was not... Yeah, yeah. 9 and 10 were the same game twice, and it was not a move that was... Yeah, not even Bowser received. could save it. Sorry, Bowser, but... yeah. Yeah, it was not great. But anyway, so maybe... Okay, so 1 through 7, they should do packs of as DLC for Mario Party. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know what? I'd even be fine with them just giving us the costumes from Mario Party 2. That's all... Like, that's all they do for Mario Odyssey, and it seems to work. I mean, they keep pumping out costumes. Or is that they don't even put those as Smash Brothers alternates? It seems like such a given that... The Mario Party costumes or the Odyssey costumes? The Mario Party costumes for the characters... Oh my god, they should have done that. It's like, that's like such an easy, like, who doesn't want to see, like, I don't know... Peach in her safari getup and they Mario in his cowboy suit. Should have done that. You should tweet Sakurai and he'll tell you. You're, I don't want to listen to feedback from people and then not do it. I mean, honestly, I'd I'd be more excited. Like instead of like more music or more stage, just like include like one more alternate outfit for every character or something, or just some characters. Right? I don't know. Yeah. Like I mean, we're past the point where they're each mapped to a different C button, and that's how you choose them. Like they can do unlimited alternate. Yeah, options. it's like. Honestly, like I would have been just as excited for them to show off that oh you can play as Dry Bowser over Bowser, like not even as an Echo, just yeah. just just an alt the same way that like Incineroar got announced. Like there are there are tons of alternate costumes that people would get just as excited for, if not more excited than a full character reveal. Yeah, like I was trying to say, look at how people freak out every time Mario Odyssey gets new costumes. They just released what last week Wednesday on Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, they released Santa Mario and Eight Bit Mario. And people, like, freaked. Like, it was suddenly people were playing Mario. Like, you went back for the first time in how long to pl- to try the 8-bit one? When was the last time you played Mario Odyssey before one, that moment? It... I thought that's all you went. Because you turned it on as soon as it announced. I was sitting here. You're like, oh, there's this. Oh, it was kind of as a joke, though. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't actually planning on doing it because the system they have set for that is so stupid. And I know I've gone into that already. Well, what? how much does it cost to unlock the 8-bit one is my question. 9999 I'm sorry, what? It's maxed out. So, <laughs> why? So, 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 before, why? so before they even did any of this DLC stuff, uh, well, I guess free content. Um, post-release content, but Reggie. Yeah, post-release content. The most expensive costume was the skeleton Mario costume, and that one was also nine 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 nine. Pretty much, you max out your coin count. So, if you wanted to max out your coin count, the fastest way to do it was by on a mini game in like the Bowser Pagoda area, right. that world. And you would have to do that for a long time. It wasn't very fun. But that's the fastest way you could earn coins. Sure. 
So you do all that. You buy the costumes. Sure. And then they they say, like, oh, here are brand new costumes. They're like, all right, cool. They look cool. Oh, I have to buy them. Oh, they're really expensive. And they're not offering any more actual game content for me to get these coins in. So essentially, if you perfect, if you got it perfect on the game, you beat everything, then getting these costumes are like a big chore and a pain. Right. Like, I'm not going to grind through 9,999 coins to get the 8-bit costume again, especially when that effort doesn't even get me the costume to be animated. It's right. just like a static now, Mario mid I'm going to be honest. It looks ridiculous. I kind of love his role, though. When you roll as 8-bit Mario, it's just him toppling over himself all awkward and clumsy. I mean, I'm sure I the role would still like look... it. Yeah, but you haven't seen what it would look like animated. I'm sure it would still look No, fine. but I like how janky it is. I love how janky it is. But yeah, you're probably right. Animated would also look pretty funny. It would look... Probably a lot better. Also, just his. Oh no, a lot of they it, literally took his amiibo, the 30th anniversary amiibo, and just like, yeah. rendered it. Like, I mean, it's that exact pose. No, that yeah, exact it is, yeah. And, I don't know. To me, it just comes off as lazy. It's a little lazy. Santa Mario looks pretty good. Actually, can we take a moment to talk about the reindeer Yoshi that Nintendo's suddenly using in all their marketing this holiday? What is that? Where did that come from? Uh, You've seen it, right? Yes. He has. He looks like he has a blister on his nose. Well, it's because he has a big nose. But then he has like a big nose on the big nose. Yeah. It's bright and red and blistery. Anyway point is the point of all of this is mario party's ripe for some sort of post con post release support that's yeah. what i'm saying and nintendo needs to just give you these costumes because yeah. it's not making me want to boot up the game anymore i mean even before. they can even do something like mario tennis like just release a new character a month yeah what's even worse is that like some people like instead of buying the skeleton costume decide just to have that money so in theory yeah you can buy the costume just not save your oh, progress and yeah not yeah. Save, and just not save and then buy another costume where they become available but right. That just sounds like something you really shouldn't have to do. No, not at all. So, like, I like I like the strategy they do with Mario Tennis, where yes, they put out a new character, but if you you can do the thing to get it, like you can do the tournament to try and get it. But if you don't, that's fine. You just get it at the end of the tournament anyway. Like, if you want to have some way to like unlock the character, great. But you should also just have a way to get it once a certain time passes. Like, because you know Mario Tennis, all those characters that they paired Troopa, all that uh, dry bones. Drybones, one of them? No. It was Diddy, Birdo, Paratroopa, Paratroopa, and some other characters. Yeah, like all those. Like, if you go boot up Mario Tennis now, I think they're just given to you. Like, you even have to do That's what I did, and it was just over. like, all these characters. Well, for Paratroopa, I had to play one game of tennis online, and then they gave it to me. But everyone else, like, you just got right away. Right, right. And I mean, like, they're and then now they're doing a new set, too. They announced, actually, like, the day Three, we record this, yeah. Boom Boom, Luma, and Pauline. Um, I think this basically confirms that Pauline is finally going to be a mainstay character in Mario games. 25 years too late, 30 Definitely years too late. in the next Mario Party at least. Yeah, I mean, she literally had to sing for her supper to get to this point, but she's finally accepted. She did it. So, good for her. But yeah, I, I feel like Nintendo could do something like that with Mario Party as well. It's just like, pump out anything, really, and keep it relevant. I don't know. Anyway, the, the other big software story for Nintendo in the October MPD is that of third-party games. Um, you may recall last month, I expressed a concern that games like Dragon Ball Fire Z and FIFA, they were all MIA on the chart, even though they're supposedly going to resonate with the Switch fan base and do well. They just weren't there. And my worry was that the tide may be already turning away from third parties because there's so many games. Like, it's dividing up the base. No one's buying any one thing. It's not looking great for third parties. Well, good news. I was a little premature with that thought. Um... All, I mean, first of all, as always, stories keep coming out of these smaller successes um, that are starting to steer the ship away from what I was thinking. Uh, for example, Case of Distrust, a game you talked about here on the show a few episodes ago, right? You gave impressions. 
that um that's a fact yes that exceeded the developer is a fact it is a fact an actual fact not an opinion and that one exceeded the developer's expectations so much that they described it as basically being a second launch so that's kind of cool and then uh Lumine's remastered apparently sold best on switch opposed to any other system well look Which, at that, another fact yeah two facts I'm sure there were more in this episode, but probably. But those are two that we could at least call out and point to. Yeah. But yeah, so we're start, there's always these little success stories. But for the first time, we're actually seeing it reflected within the NPD chart itself, which is why I'm saying I think my cons are premature because on that larger main third party like release scale, if you look at October's Switch only top ten, it's dominated by third party games for the first time, and I don't even know how long. The majority of games in Nintendo in a Nintendo platform's top ten are actually third party games. Six of the ten are not. Nintendo made. The top four are, of course, Nintendo made. Mario Party, Mario Kart, Mario Ozzy, Zelda, in that order. But then at number five, with only a day or two of tracking uh, before it, you know, the period closed for its chart, was Diablo 3. And number six is the Star Fox Infused Starlink. And they've got Dark Souls, The World Ends With You, which, yes, Nintendo published in the West, but no, they didn't develop. Uh, Lego DC Superheroes, and surprisingly, of all things, Namco Bandai's my Hero One's Justice, which is an anime game. It managed to actually chart in the top 10 for Switch. Um, Got surprised because the game doesn't look that, that great. great compared to... I mean, it looks it looks like a game that will eventually be good. Kind of how like when Naruto got its first like, Ultimate Ninja Storm. Like, mm-hmm. That one had like a good base and mm-hmm. it eventually became like a super amazing game with like so much to offer. Yeah, But I mean, the show is also not super far in. So, I mean, I guess it's just a start. It's just weird though that charted already, but I mean that anime is really popular. Uh, then maybe that's it's why. basically like this generation's Naruto. If not, uh, that actually explains. If a not lot. this generation's whatever was popular before Naruto, Dragon Ball. I don't know. Uh, yes, Dragon Ball's had a comeback. You know they had a Dragon Naruto, Ball balloon in the Macy's. Before parade. Naruto was kind of Yu-Gi-Oh, but I don't know. They had a Dragon Ball balloon in the Macy's parade. There you go. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, this would be some kids. Dragon Ball at some point. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it makes sense that was trying. The ones I thought were kind of more interesting or noteworthy were Diablo and Starlink. I mean, first of all, Diablo, given how briefly it's been on the chart, to me it seems poised to pull a Mario Party, just on a smaller scale. So, you know, it starts off pretty well with a few days of charting, and then it'll leapfrog even higher on the next month's chart. I mean, the, the fact is, the release of the Switch one already helped propel Diablo 3 up the overall top 20 of all systems. It was number 18, which is impressive considering it's like a three-year-old game. Um, so there's that. And it also helps that uh, Walmart screwed up on Black Friday, and you could actually get Diablo 3 for $17. So that's going to help it further. I was so close to pulling the trigger on that. Like, I've never actually owned a Diablo, but 17 bucks to experience, to try it out and have a cool Ganondorf outfit is very tempting. But, I would have totally done that. Yeah, I mean, I did you... I figured you would not. I would have told you. Do you... Um, you played... I know you play StarCraft. Do you play Diablo ever, really? No. But you would have jumped in at 17 yeah, I would have also jumped in. Because one of our close friends has it on the Switch. That's true. He's he been playing yeah. it, so yeah. it's like, what better way to play it than with a friend? Right, at $17. The problem with the Walmart deal is it was kind of a your mileage may vary situation where some Walmarts were ringing it up incorrectly and some weren't, and you couldn't check online because the inventory was listing the correct price. It's only once you went that it was screwed up. But yeah, so I think that's going to help Diablo, and obviously just it has a lot of buzz. But then you've got Starlink, which is the other game of note, I feel like, and that only appears... That only appears to be on the Switch's individual chart, and nowhere else. It's not in any other chart in the MPD, not any other system, not the overall. And the game's also on sale for pretty cheap right now going into the holidays. You can find the physical starter pack for 35 bucks, pretty much everywhere, which is a great deal. But I like personally, I, I kind of don't want the toys. Like 
they're nice. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed using them at E3. They're well built. It's cool how you can swap in and out the, uh, you know, the individual pieces to do your ship. But like personally, I don't really need more plastic. And since Ubisoft offers a digital counterpart where you can swap parts in game, not with toys, that feels like the way to go. But here's the weird thing. That one at minimum is $10 more right now. So Starlink for me, at least is stuck in this weird place where it's like, I can get it cheaper with more things, but I don't want the things, but I don't want to pay the more expensive because I feel like I'm getting ripped off. So it's kind of weird. But like beyond my own personal woes, it just seems like the game didn't do super well, which like Star Fox gave it a boost on Switch. If, um, if it, honestly, it's... That's basically nowhere. Yeah, it's a shame that they had to incorporate Toys to Life in some way. Yeah. I feel like that really hurt it because it looked... It's I would even good. I would even have tempted to get it just because it looked interesting, but it's weird. Like it's more expensive without the stuff. Yeah, it's, that's what I say. It's so backwards. Yeah. And like, like because they're doing the eShop cyber deals right now, and you can get it for forty five that way, which is ten dollars more than where you can just go buy it. It, it doesn't make sense. But and it kind of sucks. Cause I'm sure like, maybe it's the higher cool ups at Ubisoft were really out of touch, and they're like, "No, the bubble hasn't burst yet." Like, but it literally has. Look at all these yeah. other ones. They're like, "Nope, they haven't burst." Like, look at Amiibo. They're still selling at the same rate. Like, yeah, we can't introduce something. Yeah. And there's fewer Amiibo available now. And they're independent too. So. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, so are these kind of, which is maybe part of the problem. But yeah, yeah, because like the Star Fox angle seems cool, and I th- I think this game more than most will benefit from um, holiday sales because like this is a good thing to give a kid. Especially at thirty five bucks, so people might pick it up now or pick it up in December and have it on Christmas or Hanukkah yeah, or what yeah. have you. So I'm at, I imagine though that Ubisoft was hoping for stronger numbers, and I imagine a similar train of thought must be going through Nintendo's head right now too. Because I mean, yes, software wise they're killing it, but hardware wise, Nintendo seems to be the only ones that were not up year over year in October, according to their uh, uh, well not their own according to leaked numbers, so supposed numbers from the MPD. PS4 was up sixty two percent. Xbox One was up 64%, and the Switch was down 12%, and the 3DS was down 45%. Now, obviously, I, I know it's hard to just compare percentages, but the point here is if Nintendo says October is one of their biggest revenue-generating months of the year, they probably want their hardware to at least be even, if not up. Just a crazy theory. And to be fair, in Nintendo's defense, they the dip is likely due to the fact that there's nothing on the scale Mario Odyssey this year. Last October, we got Odyssey and the hardware bundle. This year, they're instead banking all of it on this month, November, and next month with Pokemon Let's Go and Smash Bros. and all that. Um, but yeah, it just seems like you don't want to dip in October, and they have a dip. At least things are looking promising now, though. Uh, in his media rounds, Reggie described the Smash Bros. Ultimate Switch bundle as effectively sold out. Our friend who plays Diablo that you mentioned before is one of those people that managed to buy one. Uh, and Nintendo also announced that Smash, and that's just on Black Friday, which is weird, but Smash is the highest pre-ordered game on Switch yet. Which shouldn't be a surprise, but, you know, it's official now. So they, they have the momentum that they need to make November so and December like killer, but October kind of... Hmm? You could say it's a smash hit. You could say it's good to... Is it smashing expectations? Yeah, I was trying to think of something with Ultimate, but I don't think it'll be the Ultimate game in sales because it's really hard to catch well, up to GTA Ultimate 5. Ultimate Smash Brothers. The Ultimate Smash, well, yes. Smash Brothers Ultimate, if you will. Huh, if you will, if yeah. you will. But yeah, what I think is perhaps more surprising in terms of sales numbers and showing that there's momentum in November, uh, at least surprising to the naysayers out there, is how well Pokemon Let's Go is already doing. So it's been out for a week. It's already sold 3 million copies. It's outpaced both Zelda and Mario Odyssey to become the fastest selling Switch game yet. So that's good. (laughs) For a more, like for Nintendo's bottom line and just in general, I feel like, uh, for a more Pokemon-centric point of reference, this puts it right in line with past Pokemon remakes. 
in terms of sales. Um, obviously, the game's quite different than most normal Pokemon remakes, but it managed to match Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, who back in the day sold $3 million in their first week as well. And new entries like X and Y sold closer to $4 million, so it's not that far behind. But when you take into consideration the fact that Let's Go is $20 more and has a smaller install base because there's fewer Switch owners and are like a radical change, the fact that's keeping pace with Omega and Alpha is pretty good, I would say. And obviously Nintendo's happy because it's selling quite well. The one the one outlier of Pokemon launches I need to mention is Sun and Moon, which I guess due to the original Pokemon Go frenzy, plus just how many more 3DS owners are out there, uh, Sun and Moon originally shipped 10 million copies in its first weekend. And it's, it's worth knowing that specifically shipped, while the number for Let's Go is actual sell-through, but still quite a difference in numbers, even if you assume you know only some of the shipped ones sold. But what, what Let's Go has in its favor is it seems poised to benefit from that same Pokemon Go Halo effect, if not more so. Like, after all, we're talking one week of sales data here, but the MPD, they put out a report going into the launch of the game that looked at how many Go players are interested in Let's Go, and the numbers are, like, crazy big. Like, significantly bigger than you may think. I should preface this by saying, you know, that stated intent is not the same as actually buying something, but still, even if only some of the folks that say they're going to buy are going to buy, it's a massive number. Like, what MPD found is 24% of Go players are also active Switch owners. And within that group, 65% plan to buy Let's Go. So to put it another way, 15% of all Go players, which NPD estimates is at 55 million in the US, so 15% of them intend to buy Let's Go. And then on top of that, you have a separate 13% of Go players who don't currently own a Switch or play Switch who want to buy Let's Go and a Switch. So you're talking somewhere between a quarter and a third of all of the US's Go players using you know using the survey data they have they've expressed interest in at least the intent of buying go uh let's go that's a huge potential sales opportunity for nintendo obviously not everyone's going to but if you take half of that half of a third that's still a huge number of people and then separate from that and from the mpd's report is a whole nother group of people they didn't even touch on which are people like you right because you seem to have an interest at least you told me the other day that you're kind of interested in the pokeball plus you don't care about the game but you're curious about the accessory right curious yes yeah, so what? why Why just the accessory? Or what about the accessories enticing you? Um, Pokemon Go. No, but I mean, like, what? Just the fact that you don't have to have the phone running, like, have it on your phone? It's neat. Okay, because you're not the only one that feels that because way. Because it's basically like a shrunken down one-to-one accuracy-sized Pokeball. It is. And um, it does catch stuff quickly. I don't know. Does that? Do you still get the experience for that in Pokemon Go if yeah. it catches stuff for you? Yeah. I believe so. Uh, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And they're like, Wait, because it seems like it would, but at the same time, it all, I could see why it wouldn't also. Right. But I mean, I do like the better spin stuff for you, but I mean, I don't know. It seems neat. See, like that's But then I heard whole... it was 50 bucks, and then I'm like, oh, it's not so neat anymore. But there is a whole group of people that are interested in Pokeball Plus. Like our friend that plays Diablo we were talking about, he bought Let's Go for the controller first and the game second. From my understanding, that's how I saw the controller because I was playing right, with it exactly one day. So I'm thinking, like, if MPD is like, who's interested in buying Let's Go for the game, and who's interested in this? They're not even factoring in the people who are like, I'm interested in the controller, either individually or maybe eventually with the game. And those, that's just extra revenue for Nintendo, right there. Like, I don't think you're the only one here who is gonna or in the world of Pokemon Go who is had that train had that passing thought and maybe will act on it. So that's even more money for Nintendo. So Let's Go seems to be doing pretty well, and it, I definitely think that like. You're because you play Go a lot more now. Yeah, basically you got like really into fully it, embraced like. it. Yeah, which is weird because I spent two years trying to convince you, and then suddenly you just did. What? What? What changed? Chat talk. 
But you know he's not here. He's regional. Yeah, but he's out there somewhere, so I have to level up to be good enough to catch it. All right, I, I guess that's fair. I want to make. I want to have a team of perfect chatoffs. So. I guess that's fair. I mean, it. It. What's nice is Niantic seems to. There seems to be a lot of you, like people like you who are now. I back mean, there's in. also Weavals. I mean, Weavals also like True. way up there in Pokemon that I love, and I mean, I True. have my pincers. Just right. I mean, there's enough there. There now. just had to be enough there, and this generation, fourth generation, is kind of like my red and blue for a lot of people. Like uh-huh. I did start with red and blue, but. It clicked with fourth gen. Yeah, fourth. I mean, I skipped my brother and I skipped all of everything in between until fourth gen. So that's mm-hmm. when we really like got into it. So, you know, your Magmortars, your Rotoms, like those are like your the Pokemon. Yeah, I love. your bread and butter. Except you're not eating them. Yeah, yeah, but it's. I think there's a lot of people like you who now are coming back and like, oh, there's actually stuff here for me now because Niantic's doing something kind of cool. Where for the final Community Day of the year, which is going to be on December first, they're bringing back all the past Community Day Pokemon. So people can kind of catch up with what they missed, which is nice. I think it's kind of a neat little like celebration of what they've achieved. It is a little interesting in that it means it's actually gonna be harder to evolve any one Pokemon because you don't have like the thing about Community Day is you go and it's all the same Pokemon, so you can really quick level up and evolve Pokemon and get the special version or whatever. But if there's like seven of them, you do have to do seven times the work to do the same thing, presumably. But besides that, I think it's an awesome opportunity. It's a good way to reward folks for a great year and to rope in people who missed stuff before. So, yeah, there's that to look forward to, all you Pokemon Go players. But but with Let's Go, I'm personally just glad that the games are doing well. Not because I want Nintendo to succeed. I mean, obviously that. But because it's kind of the perfect rebuttal to all those people who are review-bombing Let's Go. I mean, like, listen, I get the game isn't for everyone. I've been playing it. I have a lot of thoughts. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But the reason people are review-bombing it is because they don't like how it is in a quote-unquote core Pokemon game. They don't like how it's casual first. They don't like how it's not for them. And I just don't understand this logic at all. Like, it's the same sense of entitlement we saw people at freak out about. Yeah, with Diablo 4. Like, Diablo 4 wasn't at BlizzCon. They had a uh, Diablo mobile game, and everyone lost their mind. And in that instance, like, Blizzard probably could have responded better. Didn't they just go, like, you yeah, won't have phones? But, but like, also, like... But they shouldn't have to. They're, I know. I mean, they shouldn't yeah. have to, but, I mean, I feel like... They could have also not announced it there. Well, here's the thing. They choreographed two weeks before BlizzCon that 4 would not be there. They put up a blog post saying Don't, 4 will not be here. We're not announcing 4. And people still flipped out that they didn't announce 4. It's like they told you. It's very similar to what's happening with Pokemon. When Nintendo announced Let's Go, they simultaneously, in the same announcement, announced that they're doing a core Pokemon game for Switch in 2019. That's specifically being done to keep those core fans happy. Yet to these fans who think the franchise is theirs and theirs alone, like, why? they It's not good enough. Like, they need it now. They don't want it then. This is a game in between. They're bringing in all these casuals. This is dumb. I don't want that. It's just like, like, they just, I, I hate to say it, but there's like this like obnoxious sense I mean, of entitlement. Everyone was a casual at some point. This exactly. is how a community grows. How, that's how community grows. And there's this whole weird obnoxious sense of entitlement that, no, this is my franchise. I want my game when I want. Don't bring anyone else in. Like, it's like these gatekeepers almost. And uh, Diablo is the same problem. Like, maybe BlizzCon isn't the best place to announce it, but it's not like they didn't tell them, don't expect Diablo 4. They very clearly said it. And then people are still like, this is what I want. And they're like, we know. Which is we what? said this isn't what it was going to be. Why are you freaking out? Like it just I. Which is why I'm <laughs> I very much support things like um if you live in the LA area, um they're gonna have oh, man I I should have remembered who is settling is creating this but one of the bigger tournament holders is gonna have a Smash Bros tournament in Huntington Beach on December eight, and that's it's launch weekend of Super Smash Bros. And it's gonna be completely free, and they want. 
and it's done that way so that you know everybody can come in more specifically new people people mm-hmm. that probably wouldn't have tried otherwise because usually going to tournaments can get expensive it's usually 20 bucks because you have your your entry fee which goes towards the pod then you have your your um the fee for the venue the venue fee right and you get discounts if you bring a console or blah 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 but i mean those are little you know little gates that might keep some people away so making it free just invites everyone and sure like if you go you might not have much fun because you're going to be playing against a bunch of newcomers yeah but, but it builds a community yeah i mean that just means that further down the road they might get really good and then you're going to have all of a sudden an, an evo with so much variety because so many people are good and so many people are playing yeah instead think- of melee where it's just the same eight guys over and over again and I think part of it is like, yeah, fine. You don't like the game, you don't have to buy it. But to then to then go and attempt to hurt the release of a game or to hurt a community or to like, you know, screw up the tournament hypothetically or whatever, like w- to actively try and ruin the sales of a game that a group of developers clearly put so much time and energy and passion into, like I just that's just so ridiculous to me. It's so petty. Like I don't understand. You don't have to buy it. No one's holding a gun to your head to buy this game. Like, if you don't like Let's Go, fine. If you have legitimate complaints and you played the game, fine, lay them out. But to just review bomb and be like, hey, this is dumb. Like, that's that's dumb. I don't know. It's, it's like, I don't understand why fans have to be like this. Like, just, just don't pay attention to it if you don't want it. It's no big deal, really. So, I don't know. So, here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to share my impressions of Pokemon Let's Go. On its own merits, not as what well, it's not but what it actually is. And, of course, there are some comparisons to be made, but the fact is, like, what we're talking about with Let's Go is it is a very good game. Like, to kind of transition into what we're playing, um, I'm really liking Pokemon Let's Go. It captures, to me, the heart and soul of Pokemon in a way that I feel that very few other entries have. It may sound silly, but the fact that it's in HD, that's on a big screen TV, it's in such vibrant Jason color. Jason is a simple man with simple players. I'm a simple man with simple players. Yeah, but the, the, like Pokemon being visible all around you in the world at all times, including ones that fall around, you know, follow you that you can interact with or even ride. Like, it all feels like you're playing in the Pokemon world more than in the past. And I think that's really cool. Like, honestly, what I find to be the most fun about Let's Go is this, is this idea that you're in the Pokemon world. Like, of course, there's a sense of familiarity. It's based on yellow. Which means you don't just have like the familiar story beats of red and blue, but you also have tie-ins like Jesse and James with Team Rocket or Nurse Joy with her Chansey in every Pokemon Center or whatever. But it just feels so much more like fully realized now, for lack of a better term. I mean, even little things like the ability to play with your Pikachu or Eevee. In my case, it's Eevee because I've got to show love for the literal underdog. But the way they've evolved the whole Pokemon and me feature from X and Y... Um, it just feels more like natural and real here, for lack of a better term. Like any time you can hop into a screen and just play with your Pokemon or shake the Joy-Con vigorously to get to that screen faster if you really want to like really are itching to pet your Eevee. Um, and, <laughs> and, one, and you know, once there you can pet them, you can change your outfit, you can feed them berries, and they'll have all these different moods and react appropriately. And I realize this seems like a really silly place to start talking about Let's Go, but like this is part of the world building that has a bigger impact on Pokemon Let's Go than you would think it might. I mean, the most notable way, gameplay-wise, that world building, world building, I can talk. The most notable way that it affects um, the gameplay is the removal of random encounters. Like now, like in the show, like in the dream of living in a Pokemon world we've been pitched since 1996, you can actually see Pokemon out in the wild, and it also directly ties into the game's biggest gameplay shakeup, which is the catching mechanic. So as I'm sure everyone listening already knows, I know you for sure know, Angel, 
You no longer battle wild Pokemon. What? I know what, but yeah, you're now trying to catch them. It's Pokemon Go style. That means you throw a ball using either motion control, or if you're in handheld, you could do it with motion or a secondary option where you flick the left stick and press A. And you want time to throw just right with the ring closing in around the Pokemon, and you're encouraged to catch a lot of Pokemon. It boosts your entire party's experience points. It earns you candies you can use to up individual Pokemon stats. And it lets you accomplish goals scattered around the game. Like weird little things like someone will give you a Bulbasaur, but only if you catch 30 Pokemon. So you have 30 Pokemon, you get a Bulbasaur. But there's also this secondary combo system thing they did where if you catch multiple of the same Pokemon back to back, you actually up the chances of seeing rarer Pokemon in that area or even getting shiny forms of the Pokemon you've been trying to catch. So it's it's certainly a more simplistic approach than full-on battles. But what I found is that when it's combined with the fact that you can pick and choose the Pokemon you run into because they're all visible in the overworld, it kind of provides a way to kind of mirror the grind of old wild Pokemon encounters without actually feeling like it's as much of a grind. Like if you want to not deal with the slog of running into like a dozen Zubats in Mount Moon, you can literally just walk around them. But if you do want to grind a bit to up your team's experience to do a catch combo, the gameplay to do it generally is just like faster and more of the point and that's kind of nice. Um, I mean, I'll admit, it can get a bit repetitive. Like in normal Pokemon Go, I don't know if you've experienced this, Angel, when you play Pokemon Go, but I feel like there are times that Let's Go and Go itself does this thing where it's just like, nah, you're not going to catch this guy. No matter how many berries you use, no matter how many balls, no matter how green their ring becomes, you just never get to catch it. It keeps busting out. I haven't experienced that yet, but I know people that have. So yeah, it, it does that, and annoying. Let's Go does it too. And when it's a rare Pokemon you've been hunting down for a while and then it runs away before you can get it, yeah, that that can be frustrating. Especially since, unlike in regular Pokemon, where you know if you whittle down their HP to a certain point, it's a near-guaranteed catch. You know, once it's in the red, you're 99% sure you're going to get it. The three ring colors in Let's Go don't seem to provide quite that same promise. Like, they'll change the green the more you use berries, but I've still had instances of these Pokemon just not catching. That's it, because you need a second player. No, that's, see, that doesn't actually make it easier or harder. Difficulty doesn't change. Oh, I guess it does make it's it easier. It's supposed to make it, yeah. it's supposed to increase your catching the rate, ga- That's true, but the game doesn't, yeah, that's what I meant to say. The game doesn't up its difficulty, so yeah, it just makes it easier. But that's dumb if they lock it behind two players, so. But even then, like, I never actually found myself missing, like, that's few and far between. I never really found myself missing the battles of Wild Encounters that much. And that's probably because Game Freak not only kept the existing trainers in place from the original Pokemon Yellow, but then stacked in a bunch more. So there's actually plenty of battling to have. Like, catching and battling, it doesn't feel like you're missing on battles because of the catching. I mean, they pretty heavily publicized the Master Trainer feature, where, you know, after you beat the Elite Four, you unlock these special trainers, one for each Pokemon, and you can only battle them with that exact Pokemon of your own. But along with that, in the main adventure, there's this unadvertised feature of trainer coaches, which seems to literally exist to just make up for the fact that you can't battle as much with wild Pokemon. So unlike normal trainers... When you encounter these guys, it's entirely optional. You'll lock eyes instead of, you know, having the person say a weird thing like, I like shorts, let's battle. Which, by the way, real sentence I encountered the other day when playing. Um, Yeah, but instead of that, they're just going to be like, hey, you want to battle? And you can literally be like, yes or no. And you can come back and battle them later instead and that sort of thing. So it's just like this extra optional battles if you just really are missing battles. Plus, of course, you've still got online battling if you want to go that route. Although I honestly have not dabbled in that enough to give an opinion on you know how it handles versus normal pokemon fair enough but but yeah really if anything thanks i appreciate you fair enough but no really if anything i'd argue the new catching system just adds variety versus taking anything away like i get why some people may prefer to keep the wild encounter battles i imagine once i get further in the game and it's a legendary pokemon it's not gonna feel as epic to just throw some berries at it and then like an ultra ball 
as it would to you know like will down its health and have my whole team fight to get it and then i get it it's really satisfying like it's gonna be a lot easier that was very satisfying Especially yeah because they usually get their own music and everything right i mean i'm sure it'll still have their own music but it's definitely gonna be easier in other words is what i'm trying to say but generally speaking like i'm digging the new catching mechanic i think it matches well with the gameplay what i would really like to see though is the random encounter system be phased out in the core games in fa- in favor of actually seeing the pokemon like to go back to my world building point earlier it really does feel like a huge quality of life improvement to have Pokemon always visible because it makes areas that used to be tedious, like caves or whatever, suddenly they don't feel that way. Like it feels like you're actually exploring versus having to worry each step you take, you're going to be interrupted by another Diglett or whatever it may be. Like that was always like the caves always felt like, ugh, kind of like a drag, but they're a drag if you That's want them to the be. That's what the repels were for. I know, but you don't have to worry about that. You just walk around and like it doesn't hinder gameplay in any real way if they let you do that. It's like, I would like to see that because if nothing else, what Let's Go shows is there's a bunch of quality of life improvements that would be perfect for future mainline Pokemon games. I mean, having experience sharing from the start just feels so nicely streamlined. Like it removes the unnecessary grinding of your entire party. And the fact that you always have access to your Pokemon box in your bag, that's a huge plus. I'm kind of surprised I didn't do sooner. You don't have to go drop Pokemon off in the PC and swap them. You could change your party at any time, anywhere you are. You can change the name of any of your Pokemon anytime, anywhere you are. It's like it's these little itty bitty things that don't seem like much, but you're like, wow, this really just feels streamlined and better. I mean, there's even a little thing. I don't remember if old Pokemon games did this, honestly, but when you buy items in the Pokemart, the game tells you how many you already have of that item in your bag. It's not just like, oh, I think that was already a thing. I think it might be, but just all these tiny little. That also feels like something every game does. Most games do, but Pokemon for I know the old ones didn't. I don't remember if they eventually added it, but I remember in Red and Blue, I always had to like check before I went to the Pokemon. And I don't know about Red and Blue, but I'm pretty sure. Right, Gold Silver. But okay, so maybe not that one. But the other ones are really nice. Even that one's nice. Like keep that, guys. Don't get rid of it. Um, also, I'm kind of in favor of all Pokemon games being playable with just one hand now. Like I, I didn't buy the Pokeball Plus. We were talking about that before, so I'm just using a single left Joy-Con mostly. But I love how like weirdly relaxing it feels to be able to control a whole game with just the one controller in your one hand. Like You literally have three different ways to do menu confirmations. You can hit A, you can click the control stick, you can press the L. It's like super leisurely. Like In some ways, in some ways the Joy-Con feels better than the Pokeball Plus, honestly. Because sure, the Plus like lights up and make noises, makes noises, but from my understanding, it doesn't have a Y button equivalent, which the Joy-Con uses as menu shortcuts. So you can jump from your party to your Pokemon bag, you can like, do stuff like that just with Y. And the Joy-Con still does have HD rumble like the Pokeball. Um, I think it even makes a weird little catching sound when you successfully catch a Pokemon using HD rumble. I heard it like once. I'm like, wait, what was that? But I didn't hear it again. But I also was not. I was leaning a control against a couch arm versus just holding it in my hand. So I, there might that sound might be there. I'm not sure. But my really one gang at is it's really nice to play with one hand. Like you don't need two hands for Pokemon. It's kind of it feels like super laid back and relaxing. The whole game kind of feels like like this relaxed chill vibe i i think part of it is how colorful and cheery it is i mean the game also is frankly easier than a normal pokemon game at least so far but i'm i'm really liking it like there's enough fan service and nods to the core game that i i think a lot of fans you know um i think a lot of fans will like it i think going back to kanto even if it's not in this like traditional pokemon way is it's fun it, it has the right amount of nostalgia and it feels fresh enough because of the catching mechanic change um there's some great remixes of classic Pokemon songs in there. There's winks and nods to other games. The battles play out basically like HDified Pokemon Stadium, which is pretty cool. And again, just to bring it full circle, you really feel like you're living in a actual, breathing, like real-life Pokemon world for perhaps the first time. Like, it doesn't feel like it's 
it feels like it's its own little world and you're just kind of visiting it like it doesn't feel like it's this weird thing that's only there for the sake of you grinding or whatever it's really nice so i mean as a pokemon go fan i knew i was going to get this and i knew i was gonna have fun with it but i don't think i expect it to be to like it like this much or find it this engaging before i even got the option to start syncing pokemon go like i still have not you don't get to sync pokemon go till halfway through the game and I'm already like, oh, this is great, and I've yet to do any of the Pokemon Go stuff. Like, I'm not that far into I mean, I'm decently far, but I'm not anywhere near halfway yet, and I'm still just really loving it. So if you have any inkling at all that you might enjoy this game, I think the answer is yes, you will. Um, it's more relaxed, but super fun, and it has that Pokemon vibe, probably better than any other Pokemon game, even though it's not even a core Pokemon game. So that, in a long-winded nutshell... Pokemon Let's Go. Now I admit, as things get harder, you know, as I get further in the game, maybe the catching will get a little repetitive or whatever, but right now, everything's clicking super well, and I'm finding it to just be really fun. So I, I would recommend if you can somehow find a way to try it if you're unsure about it, do so, because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, so that's Let's Go. Truly glowing. Yeah, I really like it. Like, it's, it's so, like, the vibe is just so nice. But do you think this game will... I mean, it sounds like a game that a lot of people are enjoying. I asked, um... One of my friends that plays Pokemon a little more closely the way I do, but right. but not quite how I do. Right, because yeah, I don't do any of the like Cause, crazy stat. Because he likes stuff, but but he likes the breeding aspects. He likes not so much the catching mechanics as much. Right. So but so he got he's actually the biggest Pokemon fan I know I could think of. But mm-hmm. he kind of like also kind of agreed. Like he said, it's just it's fun overall. But yeah, there's some things that he finds like annoying, like the catching sometimes. That sometimes yeah. like it just decides not to work, and that's really annoying. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, it, it, it's a more leisure like when I'm saying relax. I mean, it's like it is a more leisurely Pokemon. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely sounds like. I mean, obviously, like you have to know what it is going in to enjoy it. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be fighting yourself for no reason. Yeah, the people that are review bombing it probably aren't going to like it because they've already made up their minds that's not what they want. But the people that are open to you know revisiting Kanto, doing the nostalgia thing, um, I think they're really going to like. Like it, I'm really enjoying it. And I think Nintendo knows who their marketing is to. I mean, they did that video where they recreated the entire Pokemon theme song from the anime with in-game footage, and it's pretty one-to-one. Like, they know who their audience is for this. It's casuals, it's Go players, it's Laps fans. And anyone that's going in to try and do, like, crazy IV stat hacking, or not even IV, like, the deeper stuff, stack hacking, or stat building, or whatever you want to call it, yeah, this maybe isn't for you. But guess what? In a year, you're going to have your ideal game. So... For what this is, I'm I'm very happy with it. Yeah. Yes. And it meshes well with what type of Pokemon experience I have. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, so you've been playing something toy different. It's not colorful and cheerful. It's it's full of explosions and death, and it's free. Unlike mine, which was sixty. And I'm talking about Warframe, right? You've been you've been doing that. You've been framing the war, war in the frame. Um, I guess I have. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, war- that's promising start. Okay. I mean, Warframe. I mean, it's a free game. It first came out in 2013 right for everything else <laughs> except, yeah. except yeah. the nintendo console and like friends were always telling me like oh you should play it like you have no reason not to but i never even looked it up just because i at that time like i mean i just had other things to play but now that it's on the switch and it's like right in my face it's like why not give it a shot it's a free game what do i have to lose and man as, as far as free games go this game does not look like a free game like if you when you're watching someone play it, or when you're playing it, it just it feels like a triple A game, like through and through. And so far, I've played it for a few hours, and I haven't really come across anything 
that is like reeking of monetization or reeking of like a free play system like I haven't really encountered a you gotta wait to do this kind of thing or like oh this like wait five hours for this to be finished yeah and then come back to it like yeah. I pretty much just been going mission to mission completing the game and for those that um, have no idea what kind of game it is it's a third it's a third person action game action shooter sort of with ninjas yeah, right? Does it have ninjas? No, they're robots. You're um, you're 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 playing as a warframe, you know, a frame for war, and you get to pick from the outside. Like, is that, how, is that what it is? A frame yeah, for warframe, a frame for war. Yeah, it's like a robot, and yeah. and you get to pick as one of three play types. You could be like a a more direct, like all damage shooter character, or you could be a more like telekinetic kind of person, or you could be someone in between. So mm-hmm. I ended up picking the someone in between, mm-hmm. and. I started off with a bow staff, you know, you just go around, like, jump around, beat people up, and then you eventually get your weapon. You There's a lot of, like, branching path weapons. Like, there's, like, a chest. It's like, do you want to pick the bow and arrow, or do you want to pick the lighter, faster gun? So I picked the bow and arrow, and, I don't know, it's just really fun switching between the weapons. It's really fun just moving around. The game has a really neat, like, blur effect that kind of messes a lot of, like, when you're turning, when you're moving fast. It kind of makes it feel... It just feels nice. I don't want to use the word like cinematic, but... Faster than you are. But it feels like it could have made the game a lot dizzier, but it just ended up having a nice look to it. Mm. Yeah, everything looks nice and speedy. And also, I mean, I guess, like, if you're annoyed of live chats, like, there's always, like, a chat going on in the bottom corner of just everyone talking. But you can always, like, mute that if you want to. And the nice thing is that whenever you start a new mission, it just automatically connects you to another group of people, unless you manually tell the game not to. Mm -hmm. So I've played missions with four completely random strangers, None of them were mean. They all just we all just did the mission. We worked together, but it's really cool just how seamless it is. And like there was no latency. We all just worked together, double jumping, doing crazy ninja jumps. It was see there is ninjas. I'm not totally wrong. I mean that's the easiest way to describe the kind of jump that you right, do. Right. Right. Okay. And yes, it's a really fun game. The only like the only big flaw I've noticed so far, and it's a pretty big one, and Jason and I have expressed our dislike of this, is that. Of all the free-to-play games I've played, this one probably suffers the most in terms of PC menu syndrome. Oh, no. I hate PC menu. That seems to be a running theme with pack button it's ports. Like, it's like this one is kind of like, all right, how do I get to the menu? And then everything is so tiny. And then you say, like, oh, I press start. And then that brings up another menu. I press select. Mm-hmm. And then everything usually has like a cursor that you have to move around. Uh. It's just like... Oh, why can't they just like redo the menu because there's just so much info it's, on the screen it's funny because with Warframe the one thing I know about Warframe because I saw stories about it yesterday is um, it is a PC first game like if you're coming from the PC version of Warframe you can bring your account to the Switch version but it will then live independent of the PC one and they say like you can progress in both but they'll progress differently at that point like they, they split and they're saying it's because the game's PC first, so they bring improvements to PC first, and then they'll bring the improvements to consoles after, and they don't want to make things uneven between them. But it's still, like, super weird, specifically since you got other games like Paladins that are just announcing cross-platform progression, like, last week on Switch. But, yeah, this your thing about the menu, really, it does seem like it is, in fact, PC first, if that's really how they're viewing it and implementing it. But it's, it's such yeah. a weird choice. I don't understand. Like, I understand it's a port, but if you're on a platform, you should probably make the menus friendly for that platform yeah i mean it's a i mean just visually it just looks really really nice and the gameplay is quick and easy to get into i mean the story is it feels like a very by the books like sci-fi like oh we're evil organization right, wanting to capture right. this thing otherwise this could stop our plans and 
did, did you try motion controls at all? Because it does have that, right? I think it just uses Dooms. It's um, I was just playing with the Pro Controller oh, the whole okay. time. Yeah, because I know I had motion controls. Yeah, the uh, the only thing I've yet to try is just, like, connecting to someone that I know. Mm. But, I mean, at this point, like, it's a free game. Like, you have no reason not to download unless you really hate PC Game Syndrome. Right. But Which is only just menus, really. Yeah, and even then, I would say it's worth overlooking. I mean, maybe I'm... I'm I mean, g- worth not overlooking. I mean... <laughs> It's worth overlooking. Don't look at it. Just overlook. I mean, it's worth, or do you mean overlooking? Yeah, it's worth overlooking that issue. Oh, I thought I meant overlooking the whole game. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's worth yeah, overlooking yeah, yeah. PC syndrome issue. Right. To play the game just because. Sorry, yeah. I mean, maybe once I get closer to the end, I'll run into something that's like, oh, I guess I'm not going to be able to beat this level without right. forking over some money. But, I mean, so far, no. I will say and, one cool thing they're doing. Which is actually maybe me want to jump in sooner rather than later is um, they're doing this free starter pack thing. So if you play it before December 4th, they're going to give you, I think it's like 50,000 in-game credits and all these items that let you double your various mech and weapon capabilities and you get like a three-day booster of your stats ranking up faster and stuff. Oh. And that's that's a cool way to get people that's to play a free-to-play so game. So we get that in December? It, no, you, you should get it in your inbox before December 4th if you be a certain mission Oh, or something like that. I do have one more question for you. What is Tenno? Who are Tenno? Why why are they called Tenno? Why are the players Tenno? Do you, do you know yet? Because I saw them making puns about how they're saying welcome Nintendo players. I mean, I, I think my my Warframe is a Tenno. Oh, what's a Tenno? It's like a species of robot. Oh. It's like a type of. So all the players are that. That's what they call it. It's Tenno. a war machine. Gotcha. Not to use Warframe again, but right. Okay, that all makes sense. I'm, if I'm if my understanding is clear, I mean it's. It's very heavy sci-fi stuff, so right. like, right. yeah, that makes sense. Well, but I mean, it's well crafted. It seems like really well thought of. So, you know, I I enjoy it. I would recommend it. You have, like, I keep saying, you have no reason not to download. It's, it's literally free. free. Yeah, unless you don't have storage on your Switch, but you should probably have a hard drive. I mean, a SD card by now. Yeah, anyway. that's yeah, that's your fault. That yeah, point. that's all on you. Anyway, before um, before we wrap, there's one more piece of news I want to touch on real quick. Um, did you ever use stra- – wow, my voice went really high. Did you ever use strategy guides as a kid? Um, I bought some because they were cool. Yeah, I bought – yeah. So the reason I asked – I think the only one I ever really used was for Metroid Prime 2 after I beat it just to get all the missile expansions. But that was because like, I already had it because, you know – I just like having like the art of the maps and right. everything. Would it surprise you if I told you that I, I bought strategy guides pretty frequently and I would always have it there sitting next to me when playing? I would believe that. Yeah. But I usually did the official Nintendo Power ones. I like those because they're from Nintendo. They're from the from the official sources. Yeah, I think I have cover. some of those. I know I had, we had one of those for Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. But the we're, rest both of, we're both having helium voice yeah. syndrome here. <laughs> but most of them were probably prima if that's yeah that's what i was about to say so that's that's what i'm building towards here is prima is it prima or prima to this day i still don't know i always called it prima i think it's prima i call it prima too but i heard someone say prima once I'm like wait it could be that prima. makes more sense but prima means um uh, i guess your female cousin in spanish why would that okay all right <laughs> but anyway uh yeah so prima 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 whatever you want to call them they have gone under they are ceasing production which is kind of just a weird like end of a chapter of the gaming world like it's it's strange because They've been driving guys have been a I thing mean, forever. Yeah, but I mean, isn't it surprising that they haven't gone out sooner I'm considering the internet were, exists? I am shocked they coexisted with GameFAQs for over like twenty years, yes. But it's also kind of like it's like that weird it's like when Nintendo Power shut down. It's that oh, weird I tra- think about it. I did use GameFAQs quite a lot sometimes. Oh, you liar. Conf- 
Oh no, I mean like I, I still had the strategy guys, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes game facts was just faster because you know control F, even though it's like it's all text. You definitely really appreciate the effort that one person put in, especially when they put everything. the little art at the top. Made I know, out of, made yeah. out of brackets. Yeah, that's some quality. And then, and then side you see the reviews like, oh man, it's like a five star review by like rated by thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just weird that like like I feel like it's very similar to when Nintendo Power shut down in that you know for the longest time. It was a staple of gaming, and especially on Nintendo, where you had this magazine that was just your company thing, and even had strategies in Nintendo Power for games, like whole articles that are just mini strategy guides. So when that ended, it's like, oh, this is the end of a chapter for gaming. And I feel like even though strategy guides have become less and less relevant in the last couple of decades, it is kind of the end of a chapter when they're gone. Because like you know, they still do those cool collectors editions for like Mario Odyssey. They had the travel books, or like Smash they had this huge like dictionary looking encyclopedia thing, like. It's, it's going to be kind of sad that there's not these tangible, physical accompaniment pieces you can have to your games anymore. But it, it was a sign of the times, yeah. I just thought for a second we should at least acknowledge that, like, piece of the game industry just out the window. In its yeah. place or Let's Plays, yeah. I guess. And Game Facts, still. But and speaking of Let's Plays, we do have our live stream of us playing Smash. You could check out on YouTube. No, um, actually, we do have one more thing about us to talk about before we go for real. Um... And that is that this episode, as we mentioned, is our 7th anniversary. It marks our 7th anniversary. The anniversary is actually on the 20th, but whatever. But 7 years. 7 years. That's like 2 console generations and 2 handheld generations since we started this thing. And I I think what really keeps us going on... Yeah, I'd I'd say so. Is probably you guys listening. Like the listeners, the followers, the readers of our articles over the years, the watchers of our videos over the years, or of our live stream from um, 5 days ago and nothing else because we've ever really done one before but yeah it's seriously it just blows me away that there are people on the other end of these recordings who now i choose to listen to us ramble and rant but presumably enjoy doing it or they're hate listening either way it's a metric boost for us so i'll take it but no seriously like the fact that there are people that actually appreciate jason sales corner or your uncanny ability angel to somehow relate everything to ninja turtles even though this episode i'm the one that did that for once um like it's cool that there there are people out there so thank you everyone out there um, thanks for support. I guess thanks for your comments, your feedback, your corrections from time to time. We really do appreciate all of it. It's nice to know there are people on the other end of this microphone cord. Um, and now we're going to get back to you. So in celebration of our anniversary, we're going to be giving away a $50 eShop uh, credit. It's great to use towards 5-6, the Pokemon Let's Go, or 5-6, the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, or, you know, literally anything else from the eShop. Uh, so to enter, all you need to do is go to this episode's blog post at ramtown.com. That's episode 90, Canto Stop Won't Stop. Ugh. And uh, and tell us who you're excited to play as in Smash Bros. Ultimate. That's it. Then, you do, yeah, just any character you're excited to play as. And then check back when our next episode hits on December 9th to see if you won. So we'll announce it right here on the show. And in return, all we ask is that in addition to the actual contest requirement of entering, um, if you're feeling so inclined... We'd love it if you leave us a review on iTunes. This is, again, not a requirement of the contest. This is just me sort of linking them together. But if you're listening to us for all these seven years or just recently, you know, let, let the world know. Where are your Ram Nintendo pride on your sleeve or something? Because uh, it'll help give us a profile boost, which in turn can lead to cool future coverage opportunities to share with all of you guys and new contests and new giveaways and things like that. Case in point, the Game Awards are coming up. Uh, we're going to be sharing our thoughts, of course, on all the news. But we also have the inside scoop on what was like in the Microsoft Theater because at least I'll be attending in person. I think you're watching remote. So we'll have both perspectives. And it's that sort of stuff that down the line we can hopefully do more of and bring to you guys. But we need the signal boost, if you will. So um, just to run through a checklist of why you should listen to our next episode on December 9th. 
You've got the announcement of our eShop uh, $50 credit winner. Win, bleh, bleh. You've got the announcement of our $50 credit eShop winner, which could be you. You got our Game, Reward, Game Awards Insight coverage, and oh yeah, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's launch weekend. You won't want to miss our thoughts on that, and to make sure you don't, you can follow and subscribe to us across a whole spectrum of things. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. We're there on YouTube at RamNintendo.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo. Uh, you can follow Angel on Twitter at Wero, W-E-R-R-O. You can follow me on Twitter at JSR7. And I think I've gone through enough bookkeeping here. That pretty much does it for this episode. So thanks again. I don't know, is there anything you want to say for the 7th anniversary? I just kind of rambled as thanks. I do. All right, there you go. He says thanks. So thanks again for all of you listening, not just to this episode, but for the past seven years or any chunk of those seven years. And don't forget, enter the $50 eShop credit giveaway. It's a free 50 bucks. You literally just need to write, like, Ridley, and you could win. But anyway, yeah, now go live the last two weeks of your life in a pre-Smash Bros. Ultimate world, and we'll see you on the 7th.